It's been about three years since we started this podcast, and we're at the season everyone wanted to hear our opinions about. It's been a long road, especially since we did this during pandemic times. There's been sadness, there's been celebration, but as we get to this final season of the year, I have to wonder, will it live up to expectations, or will it just be like Terminator Salvation all over again? You done monologuing over there, John Connor? Transmission out. adorable pair of blue poodle slippers ashley and i'm one of ziggy's bad one-liners sid and this is ranger splain where sid lifelong power rangers fan takes me power ranger sophomore ashley through the world of power rangers and this month we're finally getting into gear with the final disney season rpm and what is rpm about well in the not too distant future the world is overrun by a sentient computer virus known as vengex with the world in ruins, the only safe haven becomes the dome city of Corinth. With Vengex slowly encroaching on the safety of the dome, however, the Power Rangers become the last line of defense in saving the world. And that's not the only heavy shit they're carrying. So yeah, this is this season had a lot going on for it. And it's not like a bad thing I'm saying it had a lot going on. Uh, it, it's just this, like, there's this one was like definitely so much interpersonal stuff. Well, the apocalypse was hand, ha- like going on in the background. Right. And, like, it kind of just made it, like, more interesting. Because, like, with Power Rangers, like, so often you kind of have, like, you know, you have your central, like, tied together plot of, like, oh, you know, these rangers were all, like, you know, Paishua Masters. Uh, they're training to be Paishua Masters. So they got to continue their training while also doing Power Ranger stuff. There's never anything quite as deep as the literal end of the world. Yeah, it's it it kind of reminds me of uh the second when you play like one of the reasons uh like Final Fantasy VI is so interesting, which is I don't mind spoiling this. This game is like over thirty years old, and yeah. it pains me to say that at this point that it's almost over thirty years old. But uh, one of the more interesting things was uh the fact that like JRPGs before it, yeah, you had to go save the world and fight God. Kefka becomes God midway through the game and destroys the world. It's like, yeah. Um. So you know, there it's all happening after like most of humanity has been wiped out. Like the world's in ruins. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a lot to take in with Power Rangers, simply because mm-hmm. like Power Rangers is, um, yeah, it's it's definitely leans more on the happy-go-fun times with children, even if it does get serious and action-y. Right. Uh, whereas this one is just like, ooh, wow, oof. Yeah, and then, like, especially, like, as we said, like, with the particular, like, season, is that, so, like, along with dealing with the fact that they're the last line of people to protect the world, like, they all have their own, like, shit they're carrying along with them. Like, you know, you have, like... Dylan not really knowing who he is. You have like Scott like 
you know, trying to be a good leader and live up to his brother's reputation. You know, you have Summer trying to make up for kind of her past, like, sins of being a stuck-up rich bitch. Like, they're all carrying some sort of, like, emotional weight. Which is not to say that hasn't existed in Power Rangers before. Like, you know, look to something like Wild Force. But, like, it, it just sort of, like, it just adds more to, like, the drama of it all is because they're all dealing with their own personal traumas on top of, like, the trauma of living through the literal apocalypse. Yeah. And it's, like, it's, like, not only that, like, you have, like, the trauma of, like, Dr. K, Jim, and Gemma, like, who were raised in a government think tank to just be, to basically just come up with super weapons and test super weapons, so they're all, like, they have their hang up, I, hang ups and everything. I I feel like the least hung up person is Flynn. Yeah, and even then, like he still has his own like backstory and hang ups. Of I have tried my whole life to like be a good person and to help people, and I keep running into institutional bullshit that has stopped me from doing so. Yes, which we'll get to that when we get to Flynn because it's very interesting, especially for Power Rangers. <laughs> oh yes, um. Uh, but yeah, like, one of the, I, I think this is probably, like, to talk about this with, with a little bit more what it does carry, uh, is the handling of death this season was, it showed permanence to it. Mm-hmm. It also kind of didn't do what a lot of kid shows do, which is, um, I notice that kid shows often, at least over here, play with, like, an afterlife thought of, like, mm-hmm. the ghost of somebody. Even in the last season with, like, Master Mal. You know, it's like, well, you know, the ghost of this person's there. It's like, no, the people in this show that died, they're dead. It's like, yeah, like, the only real case where that doesn't happen is with, like, Jim and Gemma at the end of the series. Because, like, they get, like, their biofield, like completely like taken out but then they're able to like reconfigure but like you can wave that off with like you know morphing Morphing. grid bullshit yeah it feels like morphing grid bullshit where you like you watch the deaths of like people when you know when they would go back and flash back Mm -hmm. um it's pretty much implied like where dylan came from and also where jim and Gemma were like people were overworked and died in these camps and the camps like putting together machines the kind of big tragic ones were scott hearing his brother die over the comms and then like summer you know having been a spoiled person all her life having the one per like one person who always like loved and cared for her die in her arms was just one of those like oh shit it's like yeah like what i I sat there going like what fuck Like, out of all the possible series I would expect to handle something like that, Power Rangers was definitely not one of them. Yeah, it's, um, it it shows, like, and and you kind of see the grief go on. Like, they don't talk about it, but it's obvious through Scott's actions. It's obvious through Summer's actions, because she is trying to be that person. And, you know, it's just like, you know, the ripple of that. So it's just kind of like, huh. Wow, Power Rangers covered that. <laughs> like, like I said, I was like, I was very impressed by the fact that they, you know, nobody gets better. There's no afterlife. There's a finality to death, and you ha- and kind of the dealing with 
you live on afterwards. Yeah, we like talked about that a little bit in our Sins of of the Future episode. Kind of like how it is to kind of like carry on after the death of, you know, a loved one and kind of having to deal with the fact that you really can't go back in time and like, you know, fix your mistakes to keep them um, like from dying. In that case, it was very literal. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I think especially for, like, something like RPM, it does, I would say, handle it in a fairly mature way. Yeah. And, you know, not to say it's not interesting to have, you know, a ghostly apparition leading somebody from the afterlife or whatever. Oh, no, that can be fun, especially when you're dealing with, like, a fantasy series or something. Right. But, like, I'm glad that for this particular series they didn't try to go that route. Yeah. It just would have not worked. (laughs) No, it's like, it works for something like, you know, the ranger, the the, the ninja soul cavern in Ninja Storm, Mm -hmm. because that's just where the souls of dead ninjas go. And it makes sense because people could shoot water from their hands. Right. So it's like, sure. But it's like when you're kind of having something that's. Especially with the way they tried to treat the morphing grid in this everything. They're trying to treat it with mm-hmm. some semblance of fantastical, but definitely in more the realm of real than most seasons of Power Rangers. Uh, it's like, yeah, you can't have people going haunting and all that. That I, I, I And I do agree that they handled it very maturely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an overall theme with RPM is that... It doesn't talk down to its audience. Right. Which, like, I'm not used to that with Power Rangers so much. This is a series that was totally built on talking down to your audience. And here is this season where it's like, no, kids are clever. It's almost as if they feel like, you know what, we are supposed to be aiming for, like, seven to ten-year-olds. Let's be a little bit more clever with our writing. Or it's just because it's about to be over. Pretty much the only people that are really watching this are fans at this point. So I I don't know what went into that decision making at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. But overall, it was just kind of like, it reminded me of a lot of, uh, I hate comparing it to the Sentai, but it reminded me of a lot of like early Heisei Sentai stuff I've watched. Mm -hmm. Where like, there was a thing and um, I'm not trying to be like uh, a weird weeaboo. But reading enough, like, manga aimed for seven-year-old boys and watching stuff aimed for seven-year-old boys in my weeaboo times, there's definitely a sense that Japan, like, Japanese culture treats kids with a little bit more maturity than we do over here. Right. I mean, there's still, like, censor laws and stuff like that over there, but when it comes to story and stuff, they're like, oh, yeah, kid's smart enough to handle that. Yeah, like... Like, I, I I mentioned this one quote from, like, Neil Gaiman a lot when he was talking about writing Coraline, about, like, like the reason he said he wrote that book is because he's, like, kids love to be scared. Oh, like, yeah. as long as you're not, like, you know, giving them, like, a terrible ending, or, I don't know if he said that part, but I've had this discussion with other people that I kind of just am incorporating that as well, but, like... You know, you ask, like, ho- people who write horror books for kids, like R.L. Stein or Neil Gaiman or anything like that, they'll they'll fall back on that thing of, like, yeah, kids like to be scared. Like, it's not a whole thing of, like, you have to hide them from that. Because, like, you know, at some point, children will figure out, hey, things are kind of fucked up. Yeah. And so, like, 
I, you know, I do appreciate it that when children's media does try to like, you know, not like the, the gory realities of the world, but, you know, try to be honest about like kind of situations you might find yourself in. Like, you know, Steven Universe dealt with grief a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Steven, I love how you described Steven Universe once, which was just basically like, um, and I think a lot of people understood it as such, which was, uh, use it, it was definitely coming from a place of I was a queer kid growing up in, in, in like a really mm-hmm. conservative house. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's like, it, it's kind of, I guess RPM, if you want to like talk about Steven Universe and stuff like that, it's more akin to like kids shows these days. Yeah. Which don't really talk down to the audience. They actually do treat the audience as somewhat of like, it's like they're kids. They're their own people. So, right. you know, they can understand things and put things together. They might not, you know, you don't throw hard concepts out at them. But mm-hmm. they can piece things together pretty quickly. Yeah, and like, you know, it's not the only Power Rangers season ever deal with stuff like death or anything like that. But like, especially like the way some of the ways Power Rangers will just go around it and not really like, you know, avoid really talking about the hard things. Like, you know, with Time Force, where like, you know, Jen loses her fiancé in the first episode. But oh, surprise, he was actually alive the whole time and is a dick. Either like, that or it was, like, time bullshit caused him to come back to life or something. I don't remember what it was. It was pretty, un- it was pretty unclear. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. I feel like that was, like, unclear of whether they wanted to decide where, like, uh, not Wes. Alex was, yeah. like, he wasn't dead, like, he got better or something and just didn't tell Jane or, like, oh no, like, you fucked up the timeline enough that, uh, you know, Alex is only gravely injured. Or, like, what would happen in Lost Galaxy when Kendrix died, but then, like, she came back at the end of the season all better, which, like, visually, I appreciated seeing that because it was nice to know that the actress got better from, you know, being diagnosed with fucking leukemia, you know, to come back and do that final episode. But, like, it just sort of, it took a little bit away from the weight of, Kendrick's dying and like them dealing with it earlier. Yeah. Even though you could again wave around Kendrick's dying and coming back as morphing grid bullshit. Yeah, like I can totally buy into that. It's just sort of like I don't know. It's just yeah, the way that Power Rangers has handled death up until this particular point has not been particularly like, you know, they they try to hand wave around it like either not talking about it or like being very weird about it, like that one kid who, like, was really trying to get Carlos to do whatever she wanted, because her brother was dead. Even, like, weird weird is, like, Wild Force dealing with death. Like, they kill God. It's like, they kill God. Um, <laughs> Carlos is like, your parents are dead. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, this Wild Force was kind of just oscillated wildly in a different direction. And, like... <laughs> Okay, I'll say, at least in Mystic Force's defense, that is such a typical fantasy trope of, like, oh, you know, I thought my lover was dead, but it turns out he was alive and brainwashed the whole time. And here's, here's here's our child that I thought was dead. Yeah, like, okay, I can accept that. That was, like, that's, that's perfect fantasy trope that really, that was fine. But, like, I mean in the sense of, like, when somebody dies in Power Rangers... It is not handled with the weight of, oh, I got to deal with the trauma of the fact that my brother that my dad clearly preferred to me 
is dead and my dad keeps measuring who I am against my dead brother. Yeah, it, it's it's like you definitely see grief with yeah. the characters, even if they aren't overstating it. It's still a part of their arcs. Yeah. Whereas like it, it, going back to Lost Galaxy, I think it's like Kendrick's did get grieved I uh pretty well. Better than Zordon. You know, Zordon yeah. Zordon had hit the Z Wave and when you see the the in space people next, they weren't all sad that Zordon was dead. Probably because he was no longer depriving them of life. It's like, okay, cool, <laughs> we can just live now. Peace out, Zordon. <laughs> we will we will always dunk on Zordon here. Uh, um But yeah, it's like there was kind of that heavy heavy weight uh that from those episodes and like you said it was kind of cheapened at the end. Yeah, I mean yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, speaking of like Wild Force and Mystic Force, I would say the mysteries in this season were actually pretty good. Like especially kind of going with Mystic Force is like Mystic Force with their mystery of whole like, oh like Nick actually turned out to be Udana's child. Like, mm-hmm. they start setting the sowing the seeds for that pretty early on. And, like, it's kind of obvious by, like, the middle of the season what direction they're taking it. I mean, it still has a good payoff. But, like, you know, by the middle of the season, you're like, oh, it's, t- like, Bowen is Nick. Like, that's pretty obvious. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, with, like, RPM, they handled, like, the whole mystery of, like, who Dylan was and who his sister was really well. Yeah. I got accidentally spoiled before, like, the series, the finding it, knowing that Tanaya was his sister. But, like, even, like, the way it was built up, it wasn't, like, you know, it didn't feel, like, super obvious until, like, you're getting closer to the end. Yeah, it's it's one of those, it's like... And and I, I want to kind of tie in probably the same thing with, like, Dr. K and even maybe her backstory, even though that yeah. wasn't built as a mystery. I definitely think Dr. K at the beginning was interesting, too. Yeah, because, like, you know, Dr. K for the first, you know, batch of episodes we watch, because we typically watch in fives. Yeah. for the first five episodes, she's not seen on screen. She's a voice in a background. And, she, like, she's a voice on a computer, heavily modulated. And then, like, she reveals herself... And it's, it's shocking at first, and then you learn more of her backstory and kind of figure out why she is the way she is, instead of just being, like, wondering, like, who is this lost, sassy child? Yeah. No, and, and it, that was kind of, like, the first, like, mystery I felt mm-hmm. was kind of the build-up to who Dr. K was. Mm-hmm. But the thing with Dylan was they just kept sprinkling enough breadcrumb. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. like, the first real hint other than, of course, his little, like, music, um, his music watch, hmm. uh, is actually the fact that he was part machine. He was part right. Vengex material. And, you know, you look at Tanaya 7, and she's, you know, she's part human, you know, and she even says that. So it's kind of like, that's a little bit of part of it. And then you learn more and more as the story kind of progresses that, like, Dylan was from one of those, like, places where they did make humans into machines. Uh, you know, there's pockets of people left in the world. And then you had Tanaya Seven just constantly whistling something all the time. Farmer in the Dell. Farmer in the Dell. And then when he finally got the two keys together, uh, when he was able to find the final key, uh, the other song that, that was kind of the big reveal of it, was the other song on the music box basically yeah. was farmer in the dell yeah going okay 
backtracking for a second, because, like, that was another fucked up thing about the series that, like, keeps coming back up, is the fact that, like, Vengex is literally taking human prisoners and performing experiments on them. Oh, yeah, it's like, ugh. That's, like, a, like, that's an ongoing thing, because obviously it ties into, like, Dylan and Tanaya's, like, backstory and their kind of ongoing plot, because, like, it's kind of a ticking, like, time bomb of, like, how long it's gonna be until, like, the, like, the Vengex, like, virus fully overtakes Dylan and that he's no longer under his own control. Um, which I'll say that kind of, that one kind of petered out a little bit, but, like, uh, it's, like, it's that's one of the few complaints I would have about the series, honestly. Um, but, yeah, it was just sort of, like, and, and obviously Jem and Gemma mentioned the fact that, like, you know, they were taken prisoner briefly and had to build, like, robot parts in a factory. So, like, I'm just sitting here, like, okay, so on top of, like, destroying the entire world, like, Vengex is also committing human rights violations. Oh, yeah. Just like the, just like Skynet did in the Terminator. Well, yes. Like, the series is very Terminator. Like, I, I just wanted to make the Skynet joke. <laughs> yeah, like, oh gosh. So it's like, yeah, that's just also some of the other fucked up shit happening in the series. That's just like, wow. And then somehow, like, people got, like, were either kidnapped or they were, in, like, they were allowed into corn. The Dumb City yeah. of Corps, because, like, the big finale is activating all the sleepers that oh, he put yeah. in. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, sorry. I just remembered. I, I'm going to be talking about BSG a bunch in this episode. I just remembered there was a similar, like, thing in Battlestar Galactica, because they kept, the Cylons kept doing experiments to try to, like, create a human-Cylon hybrid. And so, like, one of the fucked up things that happens to Starbuck is that she basically ends up at, like, a what would basically account to being a human breeding farm. It's like, oh god. It's just, I, I, like I feel like that is something that is also very was very this series was very influenced by was Battlestar Galactica two thousand four. There's a I think we could definitely get into that later about how yeah. like a lot of prestige television influenced the show. Oh, for sure. And and sci you know, sci fi action movies as well, like yeah. Hicks and Vasquez. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk gotta about get, that more or in a bit. Uh gotta get two Cameron references, not just Terminator. With the and yeah, again that with the mystery point, it's definitely not treating this audience as like they're not dumbing it down or or anything. They're like, a kid's gonna be able to kind of put this together and feel rewarded when they kind of figure it out. Yeah, and I think it's just that they were more willing to give it that slow burn. Yeah. So, like, yeah, somebody could figure out halfway through and just be like, oh, is Tanaya Seven, like, Dylan's sister or, like, the girl that, like, he thinks is, like, he's connected to somehow? And, like, yeah, they give it space that you could figure that out early on, but they definitely, like, leave enough, like, kind of a slow burn that, like, even if you don't figure it out by, like, you know, halfway through the season, you're definitely figured out by the time that, like, he figures out what's going on with the watch. yeah. Especially since there's like other things going on in the show that you can you can easily put that thought in the back burner until they oh, bring yeah. it up. Oh yeah. So the other thing that was kind of interesting about the show was um it's very interesting when a toku show starts in media's res. Mm, yeah. Uh, real quick, uh media's res just means starting in the middle of a story. It's it's Latin. Uh Latin. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like who who took Latin classes in, in in high school, Sid? 
me. Uh, <laughs> nerd. I'm a nerd. Um, but yeah, it, it basically just is is a kind of a a term just to say you know in the middle of the story. And so when uh we we rarely ever see kind of an actual media's res type story mm-hmm. in Power Rangers. I think like the closest I think you mentioned was a uh, when we were writing this episode was Wild Force. Yeah, because like with Wild Force, you know, obviously it starts with Cole's story of I'm going to leave this village in the in the jungle that has been raising me since I was like a child, you know, raising me since I was a baby to go find my parents. And like he goes to the big city and then he meets like kind of gets in trouble and meets the other Power Rangers because they've been Power Rangering it up from like, you know, anywhere for like a year to just a few months. Yeah. So, like, they already have an established team, and Cole is kind of the last bit of the dynamic. But, like, even then, because, like, particularly, like, you know, when we first come and meet, the, like, the characters within um, within the series, like, the first time we meet them, they're all heading towards Corinth. They are all trying to get within the Dome City. And we get, like, learn their backstories about how they ended up there, eventually, like, in the middle of the series. But then, like, you know, then it cuts to a year later and, like, we meet Dylan and Ziggy and then all of a sudden they get, like, thrown into, like, this battle with Power Rangers. Yeah. And so, like, it kind of is sort of, like, already the story is already in progress. And, like, you could say that about, like, any of them. But, like, comparing it to last season with Jungle Fury, like, when we first meet the characters in Jungle Fury, like, it's literally that Lily and Theo are, you know, almost Paishwa masters. And then Casey is like, you know, the new guy and all that. But it's like, it's a typical story setup. And they're like, you're, they're not already Power Rangers by the time the series starts. Yeah. But here, like, obviously we get introduced to who our main characters are going to be. But like, you know, we don't get to see like Dr. K be like, here, I am giving you this morpher. You're going to be Ranger Operator Series Red. You're going to be Ranger Operator Series Blue. You're going to be Ranger Operator Series Yellow. We don't see that. We yeah. only see that with Dylan and Ziggy. But, like, you know, they're coming into an established team dynamic. Yeah. And this and- is and this is totally new to them. And it's, uh, therefore, it's totally new to us. Yeah. And, and also, like, it doesn't even start out with... You're even kind of like, you're kind of getting bits and pieces of what's going on at the beginning, because mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, obviously some type of war is going on, and things are, are really bad for humanity. If you ignore the bad opening, we'll get to that. But, so, and so, like, the characters you're seeing that you're meeting in that first bit, they are literally trying to escape, like, whatever's happening. And it's not really through the series you find out about Vengex, what time was like before the Dome City of Corinth. So it's yeah. like, you know, you don't have the like thing with Dr. K of being like, oh crap, I launched this computer virus. I better find five teenagers with attitudes, you know? Yeah, like, we I don't have like, a first episode like that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if RPM had happened in like the 90s, like we literally would have opened with, oh no, Vengex has been unleashed. Let's find some Power Rangers to, like, help stop him. <laughs> like, that's how it would have gone. Because that's how it happened for, like, every other season after, like, starting with MMPR. And, like, they didn't do it too much with, like, you know, a couple up, up until about, like, I want to say Turbo. 
just because we were dealing with rangers we already knew. Yeah. But then, like, you know, but still, they would introduce the conflict, like, oh, no, it's another, like, you know, we're dealing with the machine empire now, or, like... Our favorite Divatox. Or, yeah, oh, Divatox is, like, gonna marry a demon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like... Howard is fucking weird. Yeah, so, like, yeah, I just feel like, yeah, if, RP- if RPM had happened in some of those earlier years, like... You know, I don't even think we would have, like, the end of the world. We would just be dealing with Vengex being a little bitch. <laughs> Probably be one of the worst villains ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, on my list of, like, Power Rangers villains, I will say that he's, like, probably the most fucked up just because, like, you know, he is basically Agent Smith. Yeah. And I'll I'll get into that more because I have a whole thing for this. But, like, he, he's basically Agent Smith. And that's really fucked up. And when you really think about it, especially if you are aware of the Matrix and kind of how Agent Smith is a, like, metaphor for fascism. (laughs) But, like, you know, other Power Rangers... Yeah, I would say, like, in terms of, like, Power Rangers villains, like, obviously he's not very campy because, like, he's a fucking computer virus. Like, he lives in a tube. But, like... And not like Zordon. Like, he's just... That's just where his brain lives. Um, But, like... In terms, like, he's not my favorite Power Rangers villain in terms of that, but, like, the, just the terrifyingness of, like, Benjix oh, yeah. is what's fucked up. It's like Skynet meets Agent Smith meets Cylons, and, oh, yeah, we'll we'll get into, like, the influences yeah. it's clearly carrying right on its sleeve later. Yeah. Um, and like we talked about, this is definitely a very character-driven season. Mm-hmm. Even the characters that weren't as fleshed out... Like, they still felt more char- characterized than, say, Rocky. Oh, yeah. Like, like Flynn, I would say he probably gets as many focal episodes as Rocky does, but I could still tell you the type of person Flynn is. Like, who he is as a person, what he stands for, like, what he does in his free time, and, you know, all of that. I can't tell you anything about Rocky besides he once got possessed by a pachinko machine. He also and, like, got tur- he almost got turned into a plant. Yeah, he almost got turned into a plant. Uh he got injured by basically yeeting himself out of a boxing ring. <laughs> uh I do remember that he 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 tries to get laid often in the in the CO. Yeah. But like I can't tell you the inner workings of Rocky's mind. I can't tell you what motivates Rocky. Like I can't really tell you what he does in his free time besides karate and being a power ranger and like cleaning up the community because no one else does that in angel grove i'm sorry all i can think of is the inner machinations of my mind and the spilling milk thing from spongebob and that's rocky yeah <laughs> like i i i know like the way we shit talk the savan years is probably like annoys some people but i'm gonna keep doing it <laughs> um especially because those early seasons like they're just characters that are kind of just there their entire purpose is to be like you know a teenager with attitude who helps their community and like you know is up for like anything is does real awesome martial arts like that's not really a character that's just a pastiche you can put in whatever color you want and and now like in the distant years people are characters including tommy yeah and i will say like at least to give credit for those later saban years they we're trying to move towards more character, like, fleshing out the characters more to yeah. varying results. 
And like, you know, and so I feel like the Disney just sort of picked up the baton. The Disney years kind of just picked up the baton with that to try to like be like, okay, we do actually have to have characters that live in this world. Yeah, they can't just be interchangeable. Yeah, and like, I will say some seasons did better than others. Like, Mystic Force sometimes, like, I love the central kind of mystery and like, I love that that central like, you know like fantasy vibe of it all but like sometimes with the other characters like that weren't nick i would just be kind of like oh what did they do again (laughs) it would take me a second to remember and like i think that was something that progressed better as the disney years went on and then like rpm is kind of the best example of that progression because even yeah even like we said even for characters that don't get a whole lot of screen time you know, I feel like you could still say, like, well, this is def like, this character was defined very well within the, the limited parameters that they had. Yeah, it's, I think this is something we could definitely, like, talk about uh, with our next episode coming up with the mm-hmm. Disney era. But it's just, yeah. like, it, it, it is kind of interesting. We went from Rocky, who is interchangeable to the world, and a lot of the others to... Uh, our characters that we have now, they're riddled with trauma and, like, uh, you know, due to the end of the world and have, like, their likes, dislikes. You can you can say what their hobbies are. It, it's kind of, it's been an interesting journey. Oh, for real. And, you know, since we've been talking about characters and we've been talking just about plot stuff for, like, over half an hour now. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and talk about our characters. Um, so let's start with, we know that the way it kind of is done in the series, the first one you really meet is Dylan, but we're going to go in the order of kind of how they are presented in the series in terms of like their numbers. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start with our leader, uh, Scott Truman, who is Ranger Operator Series Red. Scott's whole deal is that he just wants his daddy to love him. It's like, please, daddy, love me. I know I'm not my brother, but love me. Yeah. Like, so his whole deal is that before, before Vengex, you know, he's a former pilot who was in his brother's squad, which I believe their father must have been their commander. And during the the Vengex attack, his brother dies. Like, yeah. it is established from the first episode in the first, like, several minutes. This, the, like, his brother is dead. I found it very interesting because uh, when we meet his father, Colonel Truman and Scott, for the first time in the first episode... All Colonel Truman asks, like, where's Eagle One? And Scott only says Eagle One is down. It only is until, like, we get to Scott's episode we find out Eagle One was his brother. Yeah, and, like, here's the thing about Power Rangers is that I halfway expected it that you would find out that his brother survived and was, like, living in the desert similar to, like, Gemma Gemma. Yeah. And, no, that didn't happen at all. (laughs) His... Yeah, it's like, you know, you you don't have that tearful reunion. It, it's you basically, uh, you deal with Scott and Tr- and Colonel Truman. Mm-hmm. I think his, yeah, his name's Mason. Yeah. Uh, what's like Mason? Yeah. Find, finding yeah. out dad first names are weird. But yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, it's just kind of that weird tension they have. Especially since, um, like, Colonel Truman always knew, because, um, like, he was a, a like, I think his brother was Marcus? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, his brother was, he basically was like, hey, you gotta, like, 
pick a second in command uh, of your squad. And, you know, Marcus was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll get to that. And I have a letter on your desk. And Colonel Truman never tells Scott Marcus was, Marcus recommended Scott as the second in command. Mm-hmm. Like, just never really reveal. I don't think ever reveals that. Just has that note. And he'll just, like, I know he'll, like, look at it in just sadness. Yeah, that's the messed up part. Because I feel like that is something that you would maybe want to, like, share with your son at some point. Who is desperately trying to get you to fucking care about anything he does. Yeah. It's like, oh, God. it's, It's heartbreaking. And, like... This is kind of the first part where I realized that, like, the series was definitely carrying a bunch of influences from other science fiction. Because this is kind of similar to the plot with the Adamas in Battlestar Galactica. Um, because when we first meet kind of our characters in BSG, like, in the... Oh, sorry. So, when I'm referring to Battlestar Galactica, I'm referring to Battlestar Galactica 2004. Um, so this was the series that Ron- Ronald D. Moore from... Uh, Deep Space Nine and uh, no I don't think he wrote for Deep Space Nine I know he wrote for TNG he was a Star Trek writer basically so like Ron Moore developed the series for the Sci-Fi Channel and he developed it first as a miniseries and in the miniseries episode it kind of starts basically with the Cylon attack Um, you know the Galactica itself is being decommissioned and um, Commander Adama William Adama is about to retire so they are, so they're doing, they're at the ceremony and this is the first time that uh, his son Lee is seeing him for the first time in a while because their relationship is strained. And as you find out, their relationship is strained because his brother, Zach, died before the series started in a Viper training accident. And it gets more fucked up when you find out Zach was not a good pilot and he was literally engaged to be married to Lee's love interest, Starbuck. And basically, Starbuck, Kara, basically passed Zack, even though she knew he was a shitty pilot, because she felt sorry for him and she was in love with him. And so Kara is kind of, like, halfway responsible for getting him killed. I'm gonna say this real quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I just, like, through you, when we were talking about, like, BSG through the lens of, like, comparing the series together, mm-hmm. I found out how much of a soap opera BSG. Oh, yeah, 100%. There is fucked up shit that happens in it. Like, like I mentioned before with the whole Cylon, like, trying to create a, um, you know, a human-Cylon hybrid to further carry on their race, killing off all of basically the entire human race in a massive, like, genocidal terrorist attack. Um, because they're all mad about the fact that the Cylons were defeated in the war, like, years ago. There's also literally war crimes committed by humans on on Cylons. Um... Just so much. There's so much that happens, but you also have the soap opera stuff of, like, you know, all of this interpersonal character drama of, like, oh, I was in love with your brother and I passed him in flight school, but then he died because he was a really bad pilot. Oh, Oops. but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have an affair and never really, like, fully get together because I'm gonna end up with another guy, but I'm still gonna cheat on him with you. <laughs> and then the, the will-they-won't-they of Commander Adama and the literal president and Laura Roslin, 
Oh my god, no. God, I can't even get into all of that. Oh, the, the baby drama over Callie and, uh, and Tyrell, and Callie getting killed off, which, um, Callie getting killed off was literally just because Nikki Callie decided she was gonna commit full-time to Nexium, which I mentioned that a few episodes back. Oh my god. Oh, um, it's just, it is, I, like, at some point, like, in the future, we might do an episode on BSG just because it is kind of an American tokusatsu, but, like, <laughs> I could talk so long about that, but I will say literally the best episode, because even with all this robot drama, the best episode is the boxing episode, because it is literally just all about the human interpersonal bullshit between all of the characters. It's great. <laughs> Meanwhile, Scott's just like, I wish daddy loved me. Yeah, because that's the, that's what I was saying is that I feel like BSG tw- uh, 2004 played an influence on at least the writing of Scott because he's so dying for his dad's approval and being this military mind looking for his dad's approval, but still not being able to get out of, from under the shadow of his father or his brother. And also, you know, you have kind of the human race dying in the background, too. Yeah, so, like, he's got to deal with all of this. And I feel like that's, like, why Scott is so obsessed with being a good leader. Because, yeah. like, he is literally trying to prove to, like, like himself and his dad that he is worthy of being compared to his brother. And it's, like, it's so tragic. Because it's just, like, my God, like, Scott, you are good enough. Like, I get that you want your dad's approval, but, like... He's like, your dad, have you met your dad? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, like, that's just kind of, like, his overarching thing. And I think, it, like, it makes Scott a little bit more sympathetic, especially in, like, the episodes where he is kind of just being that hard-ass leader who is not, like, willing to budge on anything. Yeah. But I feel like that's part of his growth over the series, is that, like... Like, especially in the episode with the, the, the medal, like the, um... Oh, yeah. The Medal of Bravery or the Medal of Honor or whatever it was. Um, where, where like, Jem earns it and, like, Scott is fucking depressed for half of the episode because, like, he's been trying to get Dad to pay attention to him. And he just pays attention to the, uh, the adult, chi- like, adult who grew up as a child soldier for Think Tank. Yeah. Uh, who is way into things exploding. Yeah, and, like, Jem kind of, like, accidentally fell into, like, being the hero in that moment. Yeah. And, like, you know, Scott, if the entire episode is so depressed about this, because he wants that recognition from his father, and then, like, eventually, like, they kind of end up falling into this mission where they do literally have to go and rescue humans, because, like, Scott drives off into the desert angry, and Jim follows after him, and and all of a sudden they end up on this rescue mission, saving a bunch of humans from being sent to the like the the the, the robot factory. Yeah, um, and so like his father tries to give him the medal of bravery then, but like the maturity here is that Scott is like it's not that he so much is uh, rejecting his father's acceptance here, but it's willing to say is like no, I. This happened because I was not being the responsible leader. It happened because I got angry, I drove off in the desert, and I compromised us all by doing that. So, like, give this to me when I've actually earned it. Yeah. So, like, I love that, like, 
character progression moment for him. Like, I initially, when I watched it, was like, no, you just earned daddy's love. Like, why would you reject that? But, like, later thinking on it, it's like, no, like, that's character progression for him. It's just being willing to realize that, like, no, I can't just, like, earn his respect the cheap way. I have to be ethical and honest about it. Which I I gotta say, like, Power Rangers normally flubs that sort of thing. Right. Or just half-ass it. That actually was one of the better, like, ways of dealing with that. Yeah, because it's just like, yeah, because I feel like if any other earlier season, like, it, Scott would have just been like, hey, cool! Or, but, like, it would have been a real, like, not, he would have rejected it, but in, like, a really, I want to say, I, I would say, like, not high horse way, but mm-hmm. like, you know, it it would be in such a way that then like his father would just be like, well, just keep the metal anyway or some shit. Yeah, that's, I was halfway expecting that, honestly, but his dad would just be like, no, by being honest with me, I, you've proven that you've, de- you're, yeah. you've earned this metal. Like, he doesn't do that. He's just like, okay. Like, listens to his son, I think gains a little respect for him in that regard. Yeah. And goes on his merry way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I was trying to pull. It's like, you you like, he was like, well, you were honest with me, so you get the medal anyway. It's like, no, it's, they actually let Scott grow. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the series, you know, he's fully confident as a leader. It's, it's to a point, his dad puts him in charge of a project. I think, like, the new Eagle Squad, which yeah. I'm just like, I, um, I guess it's like, for, like, how do the, like, all the military stuff be for rescuing now? <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, they're still dealing with kind of the fallout of Vengex. Clearly, there's still just got to be some humans out there who, like, don't quite realize the war's over. Yeah, so they got to, like, go out and find them. So it was kind of neat, you know, it's like, oh, man, I'm I'm in charge of Eagle Squad now. And, like, I think he has, like, Jim and Gemma as part of his squad. (laughs) So, I mean, the last little bit about Scott, because, like, again, most of his thing is that he's obsessed with being a good leader because he wants to prove to his dad that he is a good leader. But then, like, when Dylan comes into the picture, because initially, like, for the first couple of episodes, like, Scott's like, oh, I don't trust him. He's too much of a renegade. He's also part robot. And so, like, eventually their relationship mellows out. But, like, for most of the series, they have this weird homoerotic tension that also revolves around their cars. Like, they, they, oh my gosh, this is like, these two probably... Maybe I've had some sort of angry sex on top of one somebody's car. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and they, they they would probably like fight over it later. Like, how dare you have sex on top of my car? Yeah, like it's like, but you you still had sex on top of that car, <laughs> and it was it was also your car too. Yeah, like, and because that was also another thing about Scott is that one of his like other smaller character traits is that he is like obsessed with his car and that he's very proud of this, his car. Like most of the characters in this series, like at least in the, in the Rangers have some sort of like custom vehicle. That's their own. Um, I think except for Ziggy. <laughs> um, Z- Ziggy has a scooter. Oh yeah. Ziggy does have a scooter, but like Scott and Dylan especially are very obsessed with their cars and they have this weird machismo about it. They're weird machismo about their their muscle cars. They'll do races and everything and it's like, oh, you two boned on top of your cars. Yeah. Which I'm sure if you mentioned that to Scott, he would just do the the Commander Holt bone! Bone! (laughs) He's like, how dare you mention the fact that him and Dylan should have sex? (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just, that plays out in interesting ways over the series in which I have a, I have a proposal about how you could carry that out. Like that it will reveal later in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, our next character is, uh, Flynn McAllister, who is our Ranger series blue. He is a reddish Scottish guy. They even have a kilt with a kilt gag in it. Yeah. So like Flynn is very interesting is that like. He is definitely the ranger of the series, as we mentioned previously, that he's kind of the ranger that has the least development, but, like, he still has a very rich backstory that clearly defines who he is. And so, like, he's the type that, like, he doesn't like to be seen as childish or stupid. Um, and, like, that's kind of carries into, like, like what we see in his backstory, that he's a lover of comic books and superheroes. And, like, he's also a mechanic. Like, his, his father was a mechanic. He's a mechanic. It's family business. Yeah. And he carries great pride in it. And like he takes like he takes exception when when Gemma is just like calls him a just a simple mechanic. Yeah. And like it becomes a whole episode where he's trying to prove that he's not just a simple mechanic and it backfires gloriously. Repeatedly. Before <laughs> repeatedly before, you know, he actually shows um he don't you know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, it it, it comes to, kinda comes into the early episode with the childishness. Uh, with Ranger Blue, because he, um, I remember because, like, he would kind of butt heads with Dr. K a little bit. Because mm-hmm. Dr. K, um, you know, she's very science mind, very academia, and here's this, like, scrappy mechanic. Right. That has a somewhat, like, that, you know, he knows machines enough that, you know, he can figure things out, including mm-hmm. clearing his biofield to cause a huge fireball. Right. But, um, and you see it in that episode, too, because it's like, you know, Dr. Kagan butts heads with him, uh, which I do like. I do like that they, um, when they, often with the Blue Ranger that is kind of the mechanic of the group, they often go with the more, like, stem smart person, like Billy. Mm-hmm. They really, they really ever have, like, that character be more of, like, blue collar, working class type, like, type mm-hmm. of person that, you know, yes, he hasn't gone to college, but he is very experienced in what he does. Right. And, like, something I liked about that, again, because he's blue collars, that he's the type that's gone through a lot of jobs. And, like, I love the fact that, like, he's had these hero jobs and, like, um... <laughs> they didn't turn out a, so well. Yeah, it didn't turn out so well. And it becomes this, like, very pointed commentary on those kind of positions my um, favorite is this is the closest we've ever had to, like, Power Rangers saying a cab. Right. <laughs> it's because, like, at one point he becomes a cop because he wants to help people and, like, you know, you know, take care of crime and all of that. And, he, like, he arrests this one guy who's, like, the mayor's son or whatever. And, like, they're, like he gets told by another cop. is like, oh, you can't arrest him. Like, it'll be your job, blah, blah, blah. And he decides to arrest him anyway and gets fired for it. Yeah, no, that because it's like he he graduates high school and his dad's like, okay, well, what are you gonna do about about this? And he's like, I'm gonna help people. Flynn McAllister, police officer, and then you know that happens. Basically, a whole like corruptions in the system. Certain people get away. Mm-hmm. Was the commentary of it, which is like pretty big to ch- tell the children. Yeah, and then uh-huh. like with the fire, when he becomes a firefighter, like he basically gets told that like. 
I think it was something about property damage. Like they didn't. Yeah, want to, yeah. There was they. They were literally. Uh, it was to the point of uh, water property damage. Mm. Uh, Which, like, I, I, that's definitely a thing that carries over. And like, you can also read about the fact that some there have been some firefighters that have like just let like black families' homes burn down. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, like, you know, there's there will definitely be corruption and kind of uh, misplaced concerns there um, in yeah, the fire can, department. Yeah, and it, it was like, you know, Flynn was just trying to save everyone, everybody and everything's life. Like, he went black for the plants and got fired. Yeah. Um, and then he basically joins the Peace Corps, or, like, I guess it was supposed to be Peace Corps. Yeah, something like the Peace Corps. And... One, they kind of like they're running away because, uh, like one one indigenous tribe was gonna have a war against another, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Flint's like, we can't just abandon them, you know, we just and and, and included a line about like we can't abandon them. We, you know, we we've helped them out. They see us as as people to come, and you know, as our as their friends. Also, we just built an organic tennis racket. Like, a Tennis Racket Factory or something like that. Yeah, Tennis Racket Factory. And the uh, the the head person of it was like, and it will provide organic tennis rackets to the local villagers. Yeah, so basically they're trying to do this whole, like, oh, we, we can't interfere with their way of life, even though they're, you know, they're clearly Clear. about to be outnumbered by another tribe. And, and you this- already interfered with their life by putting a factory in. Yeah, it, it's it's the bullshit prime directive moment. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so, like, Flynn decides that he's going to stay behind, teach them about Braveheart and Scottish independence, and uh, goes helps them go to war. Yeah. And uh, gets fired lives, for that. Gets fired for that. Uh, I really did love that, like, tennis racket thing, though. It really goes into kind of sometimes what happens in those situations, which is just, we're trying to, per- like... We're trying to help people. By by help people, I mean we're, we we want a cheap source of labor for something. It's like yeah, it's like, it's like so that it's, like performance activism like sort of thing. Like you know, yeah. like the Tom's tennis shoes. Oh yeah, like you know, it's like oh, we're helping the villagers by getting them jobs for like making things that they don't really need. Yeah, mm. it's like an organic. It's like nobody plays te- like who plays tennis out here. Yeah, T- tennis is a rich person sport, which is. Probably why they're angry Serena Williams is one of the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, basically. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's just sort of, like, that's the character arc you see Flynn go through before he becomes a Power Ranger. Kind of how that plays into what really makes him a great Power Ranger in that regard. Yeah. Um, because literally when the apocalypse comes and they make a, like, like they make it to the dome, but, like, one woman's child is left behind out there. So he literally steals a, like a school bus. Drives out there, rescues a whole bunch of people too, along with this girl. Yeah. Uh, And like, the funny thing was that that girl at some point does ask, are we going to die? Yeah. And he's like, not today. But it's just like, hold on. The fact that she was able to say die in Power Rangers. (laughs) Are we gonna get destroyed? No, she said. Are we gonna die? Which, thank God, they got a like they allowed that in because I think standards and practice would have been like, no, you can't do that. It's like you and can't it's say like, die. Um, but it sounds more natural to ask that. 
Yeah, especially, like, a child that's scared in the middle of the goddamn apocalypse. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, it, like, even Flynn at one point gets to say crap, which I was just like, you could say crap on Power Rangers? <laughs> Flynn got to say a swear. Yeah, so Finn, yeah, Flynn, Finn. Flynn, yeah, Flynn got to swear on Power Rangers. Granted, it was the most PG swear possible, but he got to say it. And it's just like one of those moments of like, man, if this was on a different network, I I swear they would get Flynn to at least say fuck once in the series. Yeah, or it kind of ties into like he says by Odin's beard so much, mm-hmm. which is something I point out. It's like, is he possibly a heathen? Which if you if you know about heathenry, it's um it's uh it's a form of pagan. There's several types of paganism that deal with uh worshiping Norse gods heathenry is one of the is one of the main ones of that so I'm just like is he a heathen because he just keeps on like cursing Odin which is a thing heathens typically do it's just like fuck they don't even like worship Odin it's like normally Thor it's like Odin you suck right yeah that's a good headcanon but it's also maybe that like (laughs) the writers got it mixed up that's also a possibility. Yeah, because it's like, why isn't he like, like, like more towards like Scottish? Like, yeah, it's like, why is he not like mentioning like Scottish? Well, like, because like Scottish, like folk, Scottish and Irish folklore is very interesting in the sense. Like, I say this as somebody who has like, you know, as a pagan person with my patron and goddess being the Morgan, is that you're dealing with a lot of potential variables about how you are handling it at the same time, because, like, you will hear five different versions, not even just five, five is underselling it, of the same story over and over again, and it's all correct. Um, (laughs) Because there was really no written history of a lot of these, like, figures until, um, like, early ADs, like, when, like, the Catholics started writing it down. And then, like, obviously, like, people who, like, their their grandparents who would tell them the stories that their grandparents told them would start writing it down. So you have all of these different varying versions. And, like, I, but, like, yeah, it's like, why did the writers mix up the Celts and, like, the kind of that entire island with the Vikings? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, the Vikings, I think, invaded that, those lands at some point. So, well, maybe that makes sense. I'm overthinking it. it. It's I'm overthinking it's a, it. <laughs> you're overthinking it, and it all just made me go like, you know, F- Flynn seems like if he is in the heathenry, he's definitely a Thor. Like Thor's his patron god. Oh, makes sense. Thor, but yeah, Thor, the protector of the innocent, and you know, har- you know, and all that. So, but yeah, I sorry. I just wanted like in the middle of that, I just remembered my head canon about Flynn. Or rather, like, who I think Flynn's grandmother is. And I think that, like, it's that lady in that video <laughs> on the day of Margaret Thatcher's funeral. Yeah, it was just kind of like, this is probably what Flynn's grandmother was like. It's like, I- I'll put a stake in her heart and a ghetto around her neck to make sure she doesn't come back. Come back. It's like, wait, this is like, this This lady seems like she has the energy of what Flynn's grandmother was like. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I want to hear Flynn's complaints about, like about the english like (laughs) i'm sure they're beautiful um but yeah because it's like especially like something that like it's like even though like he has the least centralized amount of episodes like there's not as many episodes about flint we've kind of established that yeah but like 
even in that the, the few amount of episodes that are about him specifically, I love the fact that you find out he has a better relationship with his dad than he does, Scott does with his own dad. <laughs> um, because like you, you, you kind of get that mini character arc with his dad in his in his like his main episode of like his dad is kind of like thinks he's foolish for trying to be like you know a hero and just like he's constantly like oh no no good deed goes unpunished and like what are you trying to like be like that for it's so childish but then like when he sees that um when he sees flynn go get on steal that school bus even me even though he's being told don't you know don't do it don't do it and he's just like it's just who i am he steals that school bus goes right out into the desert saves all those people and comes back it's just in the nick of time and, like, his father is just, like, tells him that he's proud of him. Which I think that's the first time in Flynn's life he's heard that. Yeah. And, like, and the I think, I don't remember if it was in that episode or later in the, his, like, central episode where he talked to his, where you see his, like, he goes and visit his, his he goes to visit his dad. It's see, in the same episode. It's in, because that's kind of the ender of the episode. He brings his dad the groceries at the end of the day, and his dad just has all those clippings. Yeah, which, like, he, yeah, he sees him falling asleep, and he has the scrapbook open with all the clippings about Ranger Blue. Yeah, no, I love, Flynn's kind of one of my favorite Blue Rangers. Um, now that I think of it, he might end up have, have become, like, some sort of weird, like, communist anarchist at the end of all this. Right. Like, it just makes sense. Probably ran into some DSA group and got kicked out because, like, he was like, why are you guys voting on this? We should actually help people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are we just talking about the same point over and over again? <laughs> Direct action now. <laughs> He's like, yes, that that just everything about that we know about Flynn just communicates that so hard. Yeah. So we move to our opposite side of the coin uh, with Summer Lansdowne, Ranger Operator Series Yellow, who is notably played by Rose McIver from iZombie. Um, which, that's how I, like, I, I made that connection only because Sid told me that one time when I was watching iZombie with our old roommate, Jacob. It's like, oh, hey, it's the Yellow Ranger from RPM. And you're like, cool. And then you didn't realize you were going to have a podcast years later. Yeah, I was just like, huh, okay, she was a Power Ranger. That's weird. Um, which, by the way, I will note, I need to watch more of iZombie, but my favorite episode of iZombie is the episode where she eats the brain of the kindergarten teacher. <laughs> just it's fucking fantastic. Um, but yeah, so Summer's whole thing is that she was a former rich girl like she was the daughter of literal old money billionaires and yeah. she was a very much a spoiled rich bitch girl who becomes a superhero through deep family drama yeah what i found interesting is like uh because you don't really get i think i think it's like after five episodes in you kind of get into everyone's backstory because they have to establish dylan you know, Ziggy and kind of get the flow of the team going before they kind of go back and delve into everyone's backstory. She gets a two-parter, by the way. Right. Uh, nobody else got a two-parter. So what happened, and so throughout this, you're seeing Summer being very kind. She's the only one that, you know, wants to take a risk with Dylan. Right. Uh, compared to everyone else on the team. Um, uh, She's uh, you know, she's she's shown to be like very brave, very kind, very very fearless. Uh, 
And so when you go see her in, in like, the flat, like, basically, I think it was, like, a bunch of kids were asking questions. And, like, uh, were you all, and one of the kids asked, were you always this nice? Yeah, it's after, it was after she, the same kid asked him, uh, asked her to marry him. And, oh my god, Dr. K's reaction was great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see what this has to do with anything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah. Yeah, it just cuts to what she, like, her on a dirt, like, her on a dirt bike and just literally, like, destroy, like, opens the hood, like, like, hood up of of her, um, of her motorcycle helmet and she's telling and her butler, Andrews, all about the perfect birthday she must have before, like, basically, like, taking the towel he had and, like, like she barely had any mud on her, rubbing it like the mud off, quote unquote, and then throwing it down. And while he's picking up, she just splashes mud in his face and drives off. Yeah, and like, and this keeps happening during this whole sequence is that like she keeps planning this perfect birthday party while she's like doing these activities with him and just absolutely abusing the fuck out of him. Yeah, and like, like not even really realizing it. Yeah, it was one of those things. I'm like, Spencer is about to intervene. Yeah, like, yeah, Spencer's about to come out of nowhere and just be like, like, sir, (laughs) like, don't put up with this. (laughs) Spencer's about to, like, help, help, uh, like, did you hear about our union, you know? Yeah, the butler's union or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so she keeps trying to plan this, like, perfect birthday party, and by, like, she, so, when it gets to the actual birthday party... And, like, all of her friends are there, and they're all similar to her. They're very rich. They're very stuck up. Like, I think it's, I want to say they were probably inspired by the whole, like, my super sweet 16, like. Yeah. Just just trying to create that vibe. And, like, but, and it seems like everything's going well until you find out her parents just didn't show up. Yeah, it's like, they couldn't make it, but they offer this diamond, you know. and That, that giant, gaudy-ass black diamond or whatever it was. <laughs> Which was probably not even a real diamond, but, you know, it's a prop. So. Right. Uh, uh, but it was like, you know, it's been passed down to Lounsdowns and everything. And I just love that the one friend who later, when, when later just betrays, like, Summer. She's right. like, well, who needs parents when you have a huge diamond? Right. And, like, Summer is just distraught and crying because it's like she just wanted her parents to show up for her birthday. Yeah. And then in the middle of this, the apocalypse happens. Oh, no. And, like, I I really love that the friend from earlier had a a Zen Mosaic uh, uh, MP3 player. Oh, God. Just like 2008 vibes. Yeah, because it's like I had uh, Zen MP3 players because they were they were decent and, and and affordable. So I just kind of find it funny she didn't have an iPod or anything because they probably couldn't afford to get that. But definitely, definitely get that creative Zen, the, the creative Zen uh, mosaic iPod or uh, <laughs> you know MP3 player there. Yeah, but like basically, like she gets betrayed by her friends like when they're trying to escape to Corinth because like there's not enough room on the truck. That particular friend, too. It's just like, hey, like, I'm with you guys. Uh, sorry, Summer, you'll be fine. And she <laughs> shoves her out the back. Like, what the fuck? And it's like one of those moments, well, this is one where Summer's first realizing that money's not going to save her and everything. Yeah. Um. 
And then it's like, like be Elon Musk on Mars. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, yeah, so like she's trying to like get people to help her and she keeps yelling, I have money, I have money, can't somebody help me? And like it's just failing miserably. And then like Andrews shows up with an ice cream truck that he like stole. Because it's the apocalypse, you gotta do what you can. She's like, okay, I'm just gonna ride in the back because I can't be seen in this. And then doesn't it, like, get, like, a flat tire or something like that really quickly? Oh, yeah. And so, like, she ends up riding on his back for, like, literal miles. And then, like, this is where you kind of first see her first character turn is that she realizes that, like, oh, this man is basically, has raised me since a child and I don't know his first name. Yeah. Doesn't even tell her either. Yeah, and, like, he gives her that whole speech of, like, you know, why do you stick around? I'm so terrible to you. And he's like, well, I'm, I, I know the kind of person you can be, and I'm waiting to see her. Or something I, like that. Or she's, yeah. I forget the I'm way he phrases it, but, like. Yeah, I, I think it's like I'm waiting, I'm, I'm ready, I'm going to be waiting to meet her or something like that. Yeah, and so, like, you know, she decides she's going to rest, the, walk the rest of the way. And so you kind of start seeing this character progression start with her. And then, like, Andrews fucking dies. He gets blown up by the uh, grinders. Yeah, and, like, she tries to convince him to carry on. And so, like, oh, so you need to see the type of person I'm going to be. And he's like, don't worry, I will be watching because I'll always be with you. And then he dies. No, he says, I'll be watching and I'll be waiting. Yeah. So it's basically, like, he's like, I'm going to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. So, yeah, I was like, that was also another one. I was like, sat there and like, wait, so he's he's dead, dead? What the fuck? <laughs> you can tell how not used to this I am with Power Rangers, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's it's definitely like, you know, Power Rangers is like, you know, it it's, you know, even at its like hardcore, like even Wild Force and all of its weirdness uh, dealing with that stuff. It's still, like, happy-go-lucky at the end of the day. Yeah. And, And, like, like, this one was just, like, let me kick you in the pants, children. Yeah, seriously. So, like, she, in that matter of, like, one day, she grows up from being, like, this spoiled rich girl who has, has never known real problems in her life to somebody who literally drives out on a motorcycle to the middle of the desert to rescue Scott. Yeah, someone she she just overheard on the radio needing help, and she she actually ran into her parents too, and like the kind of big defining moment. And her parents are like, "You can't do this. You're a Lansdowne." She just rips the diamond necklace off and hands it to them. Because so, basically, don't they say you're a Lansdowne? We don't care about people. Yeah, pretty much. She basically separates from her parents that way, just going out in the desert, which you know it coincides with the plot of what's going on in the episode. Because of, like, they're trying to marry her off of, like, Chad or something. Like, the dude's name was either Chad or Chet or something like that. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a very wasp name. Yeah, like, he's just... Ugh. I, I really did love that, you know, they went from, like, being old money to, oh, we had everything tied in stocks, so we're broke. And I'm like, what? It's like, you had no divestment whatsoever? Or, like, any sort of... Like, because you're supposed to diversify your investments... And also, have something in this, like, your savings. <laughs> and even if it's, like, Vengex destroyed everything. So I'm like, why do you guys still have money? That yeah. would be something I'll get into later. But it was just kind of like, you're supposed to be old money. What the fuck? Which, that episode was great. You look positively radiant. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was just kind of like they're trying to marry her off and trying to keep her, you know, in that lifestyle. And she's like, I've moved on from that. Yeah, so she's like being, like not even just being a ranger, but just sort of like going through that experience, like changed her fundamentally as a person. And like the fact that she's just, she's not interested in like living that life again. And basically even tells her parents, get a job. Yeah. Uh, I would ha- I want to kind of say that this is like a Dragon Age mechanic that happens mm-hmm. in uh, the fir- in Origins, where you can literally harden a character. Uh, you basically go through something where they 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 will kind of harden who they are. The biggest I think was Alistair. I think is mm-hmm. his name. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, Alistair, the um, other Templar with you and everything, and he's kind of a happy-go-lucky boy raised by the Templars. Sort of, because it's Dragon Age. And then he finally meets his mom, and she's, like, a horrible bitch. Oh. So you can be like, yeah, people are just horrible bitches, and he'll harden from it. And I, I feel like, like, some are, some are hardened. Right. You know, it's just like, the world's kind of cruel, and I, I have to fend for myself. Yeah, what what is that Eddie Kingston quote of, like, world, uh, world is a cold place, uh, so better bundle up, partner. <laughs> yeah, or, like, put on a jacket. Yeah, I, I gotta. I, I don't remember what he, exactly he said to Sammy Zane, but like, <laughs> I think it's like zip up your jacket or something. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, I, I I'd have to say the world is a cold and warm place, so <laughs> have a light jacket. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but uh, oh. yeah, that that's definitely how kind of summer came off, and that's basically her biggest bit of character development is in those two episodes. Yeah, is like finding out who the person she used to be and like the person she is now and like how that conflicts with what people are wanting out of her yeah because like the the expectation is that like you know she's rich so therefore you're like she's going to continue to be that rich girl and not you know somebody who's literally like no i'm trying to save the world yeah literally (laughs) yeah she's literally trying to save the world i and I'll, basically a lot of her stuff after that gets mostly revolves around Dylan. Like, yeah. she helps Dylan out. It, it's kind of one of the weaker things of the series, I think, is, you know, you had such a strong char- like characterization come out, and then you just kind of plop her on a dude. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's not enough heterosexuality in this series, so... Yeah, they not, have ki- the, yeah, yeah. They they had chemistry, so I'm like, I don't hate it, hate it. Mm-hmm. You know, or like like times where they just threw people together, and I'm like, I guess. Yeah, I but mean, it, at least it kind of made sense, and like they kind of slow burned it throughout the entire series. Yeah, yeah. They, they actually kind of they did a decent slow burn with it. Uh, it definitely was better, I think, than like last. Uh, like I love Jungle Fury, but the Theo Lily thing was just fucking weird. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> but, like, here they, you know, did allow for, like, more of a slow burn. But I feel like unlike, say, probably one of the best romances in all of Power Rangers, um, in terms of the build-up to it, that I've seen so far. I don't know what, di- what, what, what like, Beast Morphers or, or Dino Fury will have. But was uh jen and wes like that entire build-up was great but it also i I don't feel like jen got lost in wes as a character yeah like jen was still able to stand on her own and like have her own conflict about well especially when alex came back where she's just like 
you know, Alex was the person I fell in love with, but he's very different than I remember him. And I'm very different than what I used to be. And I think I'm starting to fall for Wes. So like, how do I balance that? Yeah. Wes was definitely her manic pixie dream boy. <laughs> Cause right? you know, Jen's just this like, you know, she you're obviously going through some pain, but definitely like a super workaholic person mm-hmm. doesn't open up to anybody. And here's Wes being like, hi, I'm a himbo. <laughs> I so, bake cookies. Yeah. So like, it, you don't really get that so much with like Summer and Dylan because like, yeah, Summer is very much a very, you know, open and like positive person who like really tries to help people. But, like, and especially, like, you know, you get in those two episodes where you see that where it comes from and her struggle to stand on her own two feet. Yeah. But, like, yeah, after that, it just becomes about, you know, her and, it basically becomes about her and Dylan and, like, how she's there to, like, you know, support Dylan. And I'm just like, I don't care about that as much, you know? Yeah. It's like cool like dylan needs friends cool Mm -hmm. but it's like that shouldn't be the role of like the 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 only sole role of like your female ranger you know because Gemma kind of comes in towards like the middle to the end so it's like your one female ranger is just kind of playing this emotional crux to your male ranger they also are trying to like make this whole love triangle thing go on with her scott and dylan and i'm like where does this even come from yeah and i think they drop that at like eventually i think it's after the whole like dr k was like gives her that whole very like clinical talk about like scott versus dylan and then like after basically it seems like she's just she's picked dylan to follow down like they they drop the scott thing like a hot rock and even then that's like it's not really there at the beginning she just saves his life and they have mostly a very professional like relationship with each other there's nothing that would indicate that you know oh there's a thing between them it's just like that was kind of the weird thing I think with Dr. K was giving like, like oh yeah, which which one would you two choose? Who's the real ten here? And I'm like, I don't think interested in Scott that way. Yeah, granted, I also just think that might be um, Dr. K overcompensating I, a little bit to try to have a human conversation. We'll that might that. be it. Yeah, <laughs> that might be that might be it too. Because I'm like, Scott's gay and Summer's not interested. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, Scott, Scott, Scott would be more interested, I think, in, like, Flynn or Dylan than Summer. Yeah, I mean, Lord knows Scott has more tension, sexual tension with Dylan than he does have with Summer at all. Yeah, it's like, that That was actually the real love triangle. Was right. Like, Scott, like, who's gonna get Dylan, Scott or Summer? Right, I think, like, that. Or the, Ziggy. Oh, yeah, that's the heteronormative bullshit that Dr. K was on. Yes. We've been talking a lot about Dylan. Let's move on to Dylan, uh, Ranger Operator Series Black. Uh, he's 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 like a big, it, it's kind of interesting because he's the big focus character. You know, he's more like a Nick or Cole. Thank God he's not like a Sky. Ugh. Yeah, so like, he's, he's not the main character, but like, you know, obviously one of the big mysteries of the series revolves around him. He's one of the first characters we really meet and follow. Like, basically after that, like, the prologue of, like, you know, all of the other rangers, like, running into Corinth, like, he's our perspective character. Yeah. Because um, basically we follow him, we have no idea what's going on, and neither does he. And, like, so we learn more about kind of what the status quo of this particular Power Rangers universe is like through him. He's kind of our introduction to the, this world. 
like you said, he's kind of the viewpoint character. Uh, and, like, there, it's one of those things where it's, like, there, like, a lot of the plot is focused around him, mm-hmm. but not in a way that, if, like, if you were to cut Dylan out, mm-hmm. the entire series would fall apart. Right. Because it's, like, you could still have the, the, like, robotic thing with, like, Tanaya. Um, right. Or it could have been, like, because of that build-up at the end, it could have just been a surprise attack. It's just, he was just one of the pieces and components, and he's just the viewpoint character. Mm-hmm. I also find it very interesting, he's not the Red Ranger, he's, like, the auxiliary, like, he's he's more of the Lancer of, of their uh, five-man band. Right. Like, he's he's often kind of... I feel like, like, him and Summer are kind of in between on, like, who's, like, more, like, the second or the sergeant, really, to uh-huh. to Scott. Uh, but, yeah, Dylan kind of is like, no, we should do this instead, or come, you know, he works, it, it's like this kind of interesting dynamic between him and Scott, where it's like, Scott's the leader, and, you know, Dylan, Dylan's the lone wolf, but then they're all like, no, Dylan, you're, you're our friend, we gotta help you. I was kind of surprised that, like, because, you know, I I was so used to something, like, with, like, Wild Force, where, like, you know, where Taylor was effectively the leader and th- until Cole came, and then they were just like, oh, Cole, you're the Red Ranger we've been waiting for, so now you're the new leader of the team. As the lion is king of the jungle, so is his ranger. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, Sh- like, Shayla, you smoked so much pot. <laughs> So, yeah, I was kind of surprised that, like, when, when Dylan showed up, where they were just like, well, clearly he's the superior being, so we, like, we're gonna make him the actual leader of the team. It's like, no, he's, you know, he's Ranger Series 5, he's Ranger Series Black, so, and he's clearly not interested in leading anything. No, in fact, he needs to learn to have friends. Right. Um, so, it, it's, that's his big thing, is, like, he learns to have friendship. But yeah, it's not like where Sky just infects everything so badly with SPD. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, well, I love that SPD ultimately is about Sky be not like learning to not be a jerk so he can be a leader, and he doesn't mm-hmm. even do that well. Right. It, it's more of like Dylan's a missing component to, or like Dylan is essentially like, uh, unfortunately, a pawn in Vinjix's plan, but it right. helps the others figure out what Vinjix's plan is. Right. Um, I think is what I was ultimately trying to say earlier. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's he's trying to find his sister on top of all this. The meaning, you know, the meaning of the little musical thing he has. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to find, like, as soon as you find out that he's, like, been roboticized, to just rip off Sonic the Hedgehog on that term, right. uh, it's like, there's kind of this, like, ticking clock with him. Right. Yeah, because it's like Vengex is slowly taking over him. Yeah, so basically he is like on a one, he, like, it's, because like eventually, yeah, it's like he he's overcomes it and like, because I, I think Dr. K had an antidote for the virus and like, eventually it's like ends up not being that much of a problem for him, but like, he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Like, he could easily die or like, lose all parts of like who he is. Yeah. And just be, like, a shell of a person, like, being, like, controlled by a giant computer virus and a robot. Yeah. So, it's one of, it was one of those kind of, like, um, you know, uh, I'm running, running out of time here. Which, of course, I think really does go into a lot of his arc of learning to trust in people and kind of found family. 
so to speak, with Dylan. I feel like it started with Ziggy and then it kind of branched out to everybody else to the mm-hmm. point that, you know, everyone's like, no, we're your friend now and you got to deal with it. And he's like, oh, fine. <laughs> I guess. Uh, okay. I-, I know how that feels like. Uh, getting help from people hurts. <laughs> I definitely love his. I think you pointed out his relationship with Ziggy, which uh-huh. I definitely it was one of those things I didn't really get why people shipped it until now, and it's still not my ship, but I'm like, okay, I get why, because he's definitely, like, the reluctant, like, grumpy bad boy, and here's the funny bone guy, and he's like, you know, he, he basically is like, okay, yeah, I'm annoyed by you, but I love you. Yeah, he's, like, trying to hide the fact, you know, trying to hide the fact that he, like, he likes, like, Ziggy. I mean, yeah, you could say it as likes Ziggy, but, like... In general terms of, like, not even, like, viewing it with, like, a, a homoerotic lens. Or, like, yeah. yeah, I think he does, does try to hide the fact that, you know, he does enjoy Ziggy and his company, even if he is annoying as shit. Like, even as early on as, like, the episode dealing with, like, you know, when they're, like, Dylan's like, okay, yeah, I'll join your team. This is, like, the second or third episode in. He's mm-hmm. like, but under one condition, literally gets Ziggy out of jail. <laughs> right. I, I think it's got to be, like, he's so small, he's gonna die in there. Yeah, especially since he had to, like, fight off the mobsters beforehand. Right. Which, by the sad. way, I will say that action scene, those action scenes in the first, like, couple of episodes, especially in the jail, were really well choreographed. Oh, yeah, they were, like, damn. Like, I was not expecting that. Some a- some action movies these days that are just kind of farted out wish they had that choreography. Mm. Obviously not John Wick. No, no, not John Wick. John Wick is the exception. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, and and as we said, like, kind of the first thing that we really get to know about him is that he really fucking loves his car, and that carries oh, yeah. over through the entire series, In- including like when the girls end up wrecking it, and he's like, "No." Yeah, because like the ho- they basically end up like wrecking the hood, and he's just like, <laughs> he's just like trying not to like. He's trying to hold back so much rage about it. But yeah, he's he's very in love with his car. I think we we really said he definitely has like John Moxley energy. And like I know we made this comparison last episode with Dom, but like especially after reading Mox's book, I was reading at the same time we were watching RPM and kind of just how he's trying to be like this kind of loner bad boy type who's like doesn't really fit in, is trying to like cut himself off, but like you know, eventually makes friends with people and realize, you know, basically kind of becomes a little ride or die for them. Yeah. And, like, obviously kind of is also a bit of a dork ass. Yes. Though, I don't think, like, Dylan knows how to read. I thought, he he actually, I think he does. Yeah. He does actually know how to read. Um, I'm not sure if I would peg him as the type to do a bunch of cocaine to read. Mm-hmm. But he definitely can probably read at the fa- the speed of someone on a lot of cocaine. Right. Oh, he's got right. ro- I robot just remember, eyes. I just remembered, like, during the test where he's, like, reading the magazine and not bothered by the flames behind him. Yeah, I love this. The stress test on him was great. Yeah, those, that was a- that, that first sequence was high comedy. But yeah, like, yeah, he could probably read with the, the speed of somebody who's on, you know, the right amount of cocaine or cheap speed. By the way, John- we hope that you're doing well in rehab. So Cincinnati's doing well for you. Yeah, sorry. I, I hate laughing about that. But, like, there's just reading Mox's book. It's, like, one of those things of, like, 
halfway of like, oh my god, the story he's telling is hilarious and ridiculous, and man, am I glad he's getting help now. Yeah. So yeah, and like, as we mentioned, like, Dylan does have that big gay energy with Ziggy and Scott that ends up heterosexual because, you know, it's a 2008 Disney show. It's Power Rangers nevertheless. Yeah, it's like we didn't have homosexuality in this series officially until this year. <laughs> yeah. Woo, that's <sighs> going to probably be something to talk about next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I guess that's really all we have to say about Dylan, besides him just being a, a, a big, tragic, sad boy who needs to open up his heart to people. Yeah. So I guess we'll move on to his more goofy counterpart of Ziggy Grover, who is Ranger Operator Green. And man, does he have big Brian David Gilbert energy. <laughs> like... It was so interesting re-watching this, and I'm like, oh my god, he's like Brian David Gilbert. Yeah, like, if Brian David Gilbert ended up as a Power Ranger, it would be exactly like this. Though probably he would not try to be, like, yearning for Dr. K's approval so much. Or or also, like, I'm trying to get chicks. It's like, Ziggy, we all know that that you're bi or something. Yeah, if Brian David Gilbert was a Power Ranger, I just feel like he would, like, spend way too much time on stupid projects. Oh, yeah. Like, thoughts annoying Dr. K, probably. Like, why are you reading all the Halo books? That sounds like a waste of time. (laughs) It's like, I'm trying to prove something to myself. (laughs) Or... Would Brian David Gilbert as a Power Ranger be more or less susceptible to selling his laptop for a shitty hurdy-gurdy? Oh, that is... I'm just imagining this happening. (laughs) And then, like, Dr. K being like, what the fuck is that? Is that a hurdy-gurdy? And then go into an info dump about a hurdy-gurdy. Proceed to talk about how much of a piece of crap that particular hurdy-gurdy is. (laughs) And then, like... Plays it better because she's a string player. Right. It's like you wasted you wasted our resources on this shitty hurdy gurdy. <laughs> uh for for context, there's a video that Brian David Gilbert made where it was a it was a song he did about how he sold his roommate's laptop for a hurdy gurdy, and then an actual hurdy gurdy player on YouTube. Reviewed the video and pointed out it was a shitty hurdy gurdy. <laughs> I I am actually looking into it. If I ever get like this type of money, I am looking into getting a hurdy gurdy because I am just that bitch. <laughs> uh, and like, yeah, like it's best to get one from like one of the like five makers in the world if you're serious about playing. Right. And like, it's super expensive. The backlogs forever, and now people are just kind of like fabricating them really fast. Right. So that those are where you can get the shitty ones like his. Yeah, so like, Ranger Splain listeners, if you want to get a good hurdy-gurdy, like, actually invest the money into it. Yeah. Like, that, that Ranger Splain says, invest money into a good hurdy-gurdy. <laughs> Back to Ziggy, I loved your first reaction to him. Okay, because, like, Ziggy, when we first meet him, he's, like, he's in the middle of the desert wearing a suit. And, like, he's kind of, he's not wearing it in a particularly, like, fashionable way. Like, he kind of just looks like he's just, he just put the suit on to look professional, but he looks more like a child in, like, his dad's suit. And so I was just, and he's got the messy hair, and I was just like, man, does he look like a 15-year-old cosplaying Spike Spiegel at his first anime convention? (laughs) 
Because like, I'm lost. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm wearing my dad's suit. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Runs into like I don't like uh just I I think Dylan would just be the type that like I'm totally not in the nerd shit but I am so just running into the one gruff guy in like yeah. the used manga booth yeah he said he 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 says he's there to supervise his sister but he's there for himself yeah just like yeah because Tanaya is off with her own cosplay group she has not seen him <laughs> in five hours so yes. like the interesting thing about Ziggy is that you know for the first couple of episodes we see him in he's kind of just like this fast talking like si- not really sidekick but he kind of gets dragged into being like kind of a, a, a unwitting sidekick to Dylan unwitting to yes. the both of them yes and um but by the time that like they need to find like ranger operator series green he kind of just falls into it accidentally because like he's like held responsible for finding a- an appropriate green ranger yeah and then when yeah. they realize oh shit tanaya is a robot and she's working with Vengix, we have he, to protect he, the we have to protect the morpher yeah, and he, he basically, like, uh, so the whole thing is, like, this talent show happens, and they find Tanaya, mm-hmm. and then he ends up finding out Tanaya is actually working for Vengex, and it goes into this fight, which, I'm gonna put a pin in that, because the, the fight scene was actually really, like, before that, in the, in the laundry area, that was really neat, so. Right. But, progressing is, essentially, you know, she's grappling with him and is about to, like, grab it out of his hand, and he activates the morpher to bond with him because once uh a ranger's uh once one of the morphers uh you know once it once it's activated to that person it leaks them to the bio grid that's it yeah they are forever that ranger so basically he does no matter what cost i'm not falling this in enemy hands i guess i'm the green ranger now and like dr k is pissed off about it but dylan makes a great point of like well you did say he had to protect it at any cost and he realized what he had to do was change it to the Green Ranger. And, like, nobody... It's one of those, like, everyone disliked that when he becomes yeah. the Green Ranger. Yeah, it's just like... Everyone's like, oh, I guess. But eventually he does kind of become his own. Even though at first, like, he's trying to do one-liners and all this shit. And it wasn't really until, like... I think it was at the end of the series you actually find out what happened? Mm-hmm. Or something? Um, because basically his whole story. Mm-hmm. So you eventually just find out this kid's story, which is, and why he was in the desert is he was an orphan that ended up going into organized crime with Fresno Bob. And he ended up doing something that, yeah, I think it was within this episode, but he ended up doing something to where all, all the, all the like cartels and everybody, they were like, we want this guy ghosted you know, dead. Right. And so he was basically let out of the city by somebody who was sympathetic to him and sent to basically wander the wasteland. And then he found Dylan and came back into the city. Mm-hmm. And there was this kind of thing where, like, you know, it sounded like he stole something of great value and kept it to himself. Uh, you know, and then you find out it's like, no, it was actually, like, he f- he was friends with an orphanage. I think the orphanage he came from. And so they were all, they all had something called gamma sickness. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they were all like sick and everything. And 
was on that truck was medical supplies they needed. So he essentially took the fall so that orphanage would be would have been left alone. Right. And like the person who was I think it was in the same episode, sorry. That was, you know, where you're finding out about Ziggy's past and, you know, Dr. K's passing him off of like, oh, he's a goof. He just wanted to keep it for himself. I read his file and the the one guy who was sympathetic to Ziggy and tried to get him out was like, no, like he really he helped an orphanage and it cost him basically his life. And that's what changed everybody's minds about him. So, yeah, because it's like Ziggy is kind of secretly a great person or good at least it tries to be a good person i think he i think he's actually legitimately a good person that like tries to be tough it's like yeah and it's just like and then like he'll let his defenses down occasionally and you're just like oh no you're actually you know you're trying to hide your own sort of like insecurities behind being like you know somebody who fires off a bunch of one-liners yeah and and everything Mm -hmm. it's definitely like a really interesting like take on this sort of comic relief character it's it's like he actually has like a bit of a story behind him and it's it's um yeah it was rather it's like you know rather a sad story and also the organized organized crimes involved right which which is just really weird for power rangers because uh power rangers tries to do very much a moralistic like good and bad in crime no matter what it is it's still it's bad you don't do crime ever. You can't be a criminal and a Power Ranger. And here's Ziggy, who was just like, you know, helping helping organize crime thugs out and trying to join the mafia. Right. <laughs> I guess because he ended up not joining the mafia, you know, they right. could get away with it with standards and practice. But it was definitely kind of an interesting, I think, take on a ranger to have uh, a little bit more of a not true moralistic background right uh and he he has a thing for shadow puppets i think i was listening to, to the bash brothers uh today and the i think like um local, the oakland night song and they talked about erotic shadow puppets and i'm like it's is this like can we make a joke about <laughs> right like that that's how like ziggy tries to like get with women is that he says that he'll make erotic shadow puppets in the candlelight <laughs> Which, this is a big thing. Like, it comes up several times, his ability to do shadow puppets. It helps, like, Dylan and um, Summer uh, basically, is, like, escape from a, a factory. He does it to help kind of pass time while he and Dr. K are suffocating in a cave. You know, you know, it, it's just kind of interesting how, like, this silly thing just shows up over and over again. Yeah, because it's, like, mentioned once, and then, the and like, one of his first episodes i want to say like the first or second episode yeah and then it keeps coming back because like sometimes with power rangers i'm used to like some weird talent being mentioned for an episode and then maybe again later in the line but that's a heavy maybe yeah i'm kind of reminded of um camberly like no sign language and it's just never mentioned again right it's like it's lobo forte of course he knows sign language <laughs> Sorry, just remembering that bit from Los Luchadores. Oh my goodness. Um, That was a series. (laughs) That was a series. But uh, yeah, just uh, it kept coming back. Uh, I think we we kind of mentioned he had like, uh, he kind of could give off trans boy vibes. 
Yeah, because you mentioned that, especially like you made a joke during the um, the Dome Dolls episode. Yeah, because <laughs> he wasn't passing out yet, and I'm like, oh, okay. So if it only affects people with a Y chromosome, obviously Ziggy's unaffected. Yeah, but then he passes out, and your response was, well, clearly he just has too much tea in his system. Yes! <laughs> he just got his tea, do- tea dose. Um, he definitely, he just reminds me of a lot of, like, skinny, like, trans dudes at the time, especially yeah. ones that were, like, trying to be overly macho. Right. I'm not saying me, but, <laughs> um, yeah, that was just, that was, that was just, like, you know, I'm very glad we're in a place where, like, we we are like, no, let's look at better masculinity models. Right. Back when I was discovering myself and a lot of others, because it was like, you kind of would sometimes end up with, with, you know, overcompensating guys like Ziggy. Right. But, uh, you know, but uh, overall, it's just kind of like, yeah, he's trans. (laughs) This is a trans boy. I'll accept that headcanon. Yeah. Another thing about Ziggy was that, like, besides his, like, constant one-liners and his need for val like granted most of his need for validation it comes from dr k because dr k doesn't like him but like maybe secretly does like him and so they have this weird relationship over the course of the series which like we have a suspicion that plays into the fact that the two actors who like played them were dating at the time yeah or, like started dating during the series while they were filming so it was just interesting about like Because, like, he constantly wants Dr. K to, like, recognize, like, how smart he is or how he's a good Power Ranger or whatever. But he, one, he fucks it up so badly. And two, Dr. K just clearly does not have the patience for him. And then... Like, she'll just flat out insult him at times. Yeah, but then, like, as the series goes on, they try to, like, hint that maybe Dr. K, like, likes him, likes him. Password for her computer and all that. Yeah, so I'm just like... I'm like, I just have a hard time buying, like, if they became a couple, I don't see them lasting very long. Like, not, I'm not going to make a snarky comment about the the actual, like, marriage between the two actors. But, like, yeah, I'm I'm talking here strictly about Ziggy and Dr. K. It's like, I just, if they're two, if they got together, like, after the series was over, I don't see them lasting that long. No. I do like that it kind of was left ambiguous, because... I can definitely see them settling and becoming friends, but even then, it's like, they're not going to be the closest of friends. Yeah, and also just the fact that, like, Dr. K, like, it didn't really experience a childhood, so this is probably, like, the first time she's ever had a crush on another human being. And so she just, yeah, so she just doesn't know how to deal with those feelings, which, you know, mood. Um. Yeah, it's like, she's like, I'm going to throw myself out a window now. (laughs) I'm like, deal with feelings. (laughs) But yeah, it's just a it's just a weird dynamic that yeah, I kind of agree. I felt like it was because like the actors got together on set, they just kind of bled it in there. Yeah, which I don't know how I feel about that. But like it's not it's not a mo- it's not a deal breaker for me when it comes to RPM. I just I just don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, it was just it was just kind of one of those like that was a weird thing in, in writing. Um so we're on to our, our last pair of of rangers we decided to do them together and that is gem ranger operator series gold and Gemma ranger operator series silver and they're twins they literally try to finish each other's sentences yeah so like that's literally their whole thing it's like 
they kind of end up becoming a little bit of a bulk and skull type like duo that we typically see in Power Rangers. Yeah. So you'll where you'll have these two characters that are trying to play comedic relief off of each other, but like also the fact that like one they're Power Rangers, but two they're also like friends with Doctor K from Alphabet Soup, and they're carrying a lot of trauma. And they're, like, being as perky and childlike as possible to cover up for the fact that they are traumatized. Yeah, like, first off, I, oh my god, I think we'll talk this more about with Dr. K, but I really love, like, they were always kind of like that in Alphabet Soup, just kind of perky and everything. But, you know, you kind of get the big feeling that they were raised by Alphabet Soup to be soldiers. Mm-hmm. Which is not a very great implication. No. Um, and they were also about on par with Dr. K on intelligence, too. So it just so happened these 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 two are, like, also physical. So, you know, that when they befriend Dr. K, even though Dr. K's like, I don't even like you, too. <laughs> I think they slowly grow on her. Yeah, like, I really love the, like, oh, that's okay, we knew, but, you know, you sh- you deserve a gift on your birthday, you know, because that was the thing, like, Dr. K celebrated birthday every year, and Jim and Gemma, like, actually gave her a gift for once, instead of just, like, the alphabet soup people, like, here's a cake, okay, solve this! Or, like, make and this! So, you know, she ended up using that pencil, like, down, and um, she saved the ribbon, which is, like, a big thing. Mm-hmm. So it was it was this kind of this, you know, thing of, like, Dr. K thought they were dead until the rangers went out to the wasteland to kind of find something that ends up being a trap. Mm-hmm. But when they come, you know, they come back with Jim and Gemma, and, like, Dr. K's ecstatic. Like, oh my god, these are my two friends from Alphabet Soup. Then kind of like the other thing said in about Jim and Gemma. Like, you know, kind of doing that uh, scene from the Terminator where mm-hmm. uh, they're at the hotel and like Sarah asks what's for dinner and like Kyle says, you know, Reese is like, oh yeah, we're, we're making explosives. Uh-huh. They kind of have a similar scene. In RPM. Right. And, you know, Jim and Gemma just casually dropped, oh, yeah, we learned how to do this with, like, the people that we were encamped with. Right. <laughs> and then they tell their whole story about, like, you know, being, a, like, held prisoner in, like, a labor camp and how they escaped and just, like, oh, my God. Yeah, and, like, just be. Yeah. You're just being happy, you know, like, we're not processing this. Yeah, I think my, one of my favorite details is that whenever they write something or they draw something out, they literally just do these really bright and colorful, like, children's drawings. Yeah. Like, they, at one point they leave this note for Dr. K, and, like, it's literally, like, drawn and shaped like a butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, like, and what I love about that one part is that she reads the note out, and you can kind of see her smile. <laughs> It's really adorable, but, like... Yeah. I just... I lo- And then there's one point where they have this map, quote, quote, that they made, and it's just, like, unicorns and rainbows all over it. I think I had that as a live journal icon at one point. <laughs> I feel like I vaguely remember that. Yeah, so it's... Live journal. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, like, you know, they'll just kind of drop hints about, like, who they are in terms of just... Stuff they they either are just don't want to process, or they're kind of processing their own like really unique way. And similar to Doctor K's, that they didn't really get to have childhood, so like 
yeah. I feel like they both process the that like all three of them process that in very different ways. Yeah. Where like Dr. K tries really hard to be more mature, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. Where like yeah. Dr. K tries really hard to be more mature and be the adult in the situation always. Whereas like Jim and Jim are just like we're like really we're gonna act like we're our children always and also we're gonna blow shit up. Cause we like blowing shit up. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's one of those it's like, yeah, that's kinda how they dealt with that. It's just kind of more of like they rather act out as children mm-hmm. and Dr. K just is kinda like, meh. But um Yeah, they're just very similar in personality because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh but they do get each separate episode. Uh we we kind of touched on them briefly, like and they end up teaming up with different people and kind of that's also how they learn how to be with teammates they also mm-hmm. i think have like an episode where they do the same thing where they're together but everyone teaches them don't go run off and explode shit because they literally like destroyed like a business's door and stuff like that yeah but, so um, basically it's it's them learning together to be teammates with everyone else yeah so gems kind of partnered off with scott um, you know, Scott's dealing with his own dad stuff, but also, like, Jim is also learning to kind of have, like, you know, it's it's kind of one of those, it's like, oh, I put my foot in my mouth and I feel sorry, and you, you kind of see, like, you know, there's more to him than just being hyperactive, and, and you see the same thing with Gemma, you know, because she ends up teaming up with uh, Flynn, because Flynn has this... You know, um, she just finds, like, this, like, thing he's working on for the, you know, Rangers arsenal to be interesting. It just fucked up once. And she's like, hey, we can fix that. And they, you know, do all nighters. And they they even have, like, kind of a push it to the limit or whatever going on in the background. Oh, yeah, the 80s montage music. Yeah, they had an 80s montage and everything. It's one of my favorite episodes, actually, (laughs) of Power Rangers. It is really cute. It was a really cute, fun episode. So it's like they kind of learn uh, to not to not, not only be teammates as twins, but also be like have friends outside of just each other. Mm-hmm. So I love kind of the hint at the end, like oh, Gemma's like, ah, oh, some other time I'll I'll hang out with you, Flynn. So like, yeah, yeah, it's really cute. And then like as we've mentioned pr- earlier in the episode, like there is a point uh, towards the end where they die. But then they get better. <laughs> yeah, I really, I think, judging by what happens to Kendricks, mm-hmm. this could even be explained in the comic comics. I don't know. But judging what happened to Kendricks, I really think if you die in a way in battle where your energy is then dispersed, dispersed in the morphing grid, mm-hmm. you have a way of coming back. Right. And, you know, again, that explains Kendrick's. That also explains, I think, what happened to Gemma and Gemma. Yeah, because, like, I was fully expecting, like, because of the way, like, uh, RPM has handled death up until this point, I was fully expecting, like, they were just done. And, yeah. like, uh, when it ha- their death scene happened, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what oh, the yeah. fuck? But it's kind of like that, um, it's that, it just reminds me of that Doctor Who episode in, like, the first series with, um, that when they came back in 2005. And, yeah. like, when, when the, with the ninth Doctor and, like, you know, like the just this once, uh, Rose, everybody gets to live. I just, yeah. oh, that's still one of my favorite, like, bits from Doctor Who. But, like, it's, like, you know, like, with the biofield and all that, Gem and Gemma get to live. And, like, it's actually a really emotional death because, like, 
you know, they're, you know, they've constantly been seen as like, you know, they're kind of foolhardy. They don't really like think before they do things, but like for, you know, they made the deliberate choice to sacrifice themselves. Yeah. To save Scott, Summer and Flynn. Yeah. And like, it's it's really fucking emotional. And I was just like, oh my God, did they just permadeath two rangers? But no, no. Uh, the morphing grid is very mysterious. I have a feeling that's going to become our, our motto when we get to the more into the comics. The morphing grid is very mysterious. The morphing grid works in mysterious ways. Ways. Um, but yeah, I, I think that covers a lot about the Rangers at this point. So uh, we, even though Dr. K is the mentor mentor, uh, we, we kind of agreed that there's two real mentors of the series, mm-hmm. even if one's unofficial. And we're going to, we we touched a little bit on a uh, Colonel Mason Truman, so why don't we why don't we touch on the Bill Adama but Power Rangers Colonel? First of all, it's Shelby's dad again. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's played by James Galen, who's who shows up actually quite a bit in uh in the New Zealand series mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, yeah, your first instance of him was Shelby's dad. Yeah, he's like a lot more like fun in that role. <laughs> yeah, but like every time I see him, I was like, is that Shelby's dad? Yeah, that's like the other like tipsy thing. It's like is that that's Shelby's dad, you know. Which oh my god, when we get to like just still, you're gonna be like, why is Boom here? Right. <laughs> uh, which that's happened. Yeah. That's already happened a couple of times. It's like is that fucking Boom? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, James Galen is is one of those people that just shows up in Power Rangers ever since they moved into moved to New Zealand. So yeah. he's he's playing a lot more of a serious character than like Shelby's dad, uh, Mr. Watkins, who's just like, I love business. Whereas this guy's like, my son is dead. I am the only colonel and leader in, in this world where everyone's dead and I'm going to be serious <laughs> and I'm also going through shit. Yeah. So basically that's, you know, that's what I mean by he's Bill Adama, but Power Rangers, because like. Yeah, he's dealing with all this personal shit. Uh, oh, basically, he has to become, like, a major military leader during the literal end of the world. Yeah. And so, like, he's there's a lot of tension between, you know, him and Scott, obviously, and, like, him and the Power Rangers in general of, like, yeah. trying to make sure that the city doesn't die and that Corinth is safe. And but like, as well as uh-huh. being offensive, like, the Power Rangers are able to be offensive, too. Yeah, and so, like... But yeah, there'll be a lot of times where, like, he conflicts with Scott about that, or, like, especially Dr. K. Oh, yeah. That they butt heads constantly. Because, you know, Dr. K, like, not, I don't want to say knows better than him, but, like. Dr. K grew up with being used by a military think tank. Yeah. And so she just has this huge distrust for everything Colonel Truman's for. Right. Even if the military really doesn't exist that much anymore. It's just like, you're a military guy, I don't trust you. Yeah, so, like, it's constantly kind of this butting heads of, like, you know, like, Mason constantly sees it as, you know, this is a military operation. We have to treat it like we would anything else in the military with protocol. And Dr. K is just like, there's, like... Virus like robots controlled by a sentient computer virus outside. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're well do past that. About that. <laughs> yeah, so the, it always leads to this kind of interesting conflict. Even one episode where like Truman tries to like arrest Doctor K for treason when he finds out that she created Vengex. Yeah, and she she ends up be, like they end up kind of going on a weird thing. 
uh, you know, like, because I forget kind of the, the thing on that episode, but it's like they try to arrest her while also like a big attack's going on. They had to do. Yeah. Oh, we have to mention the van. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man, that van. Because it's in Go Onger, they ha- they they were using footage of this van in Go Onger. They oh. have this kind of like tricked out. I don't want to say it's a Winnebago, but it's definitely like a tricked out van to live in. Mm-hmm. That was so, you know supposed to be used for a military operation. Scott's like, this is my dad's pride possession, and we just kept making like jokes about it. <laughs> Including like 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 Scott, you were you were uh, you were conceived in this van. <laughs> My favorite detail about it was well, well, one they end up accidentally driving the van over a cliff because you know interference from Benjix. Yeah, um, but two they actually call the van Goanger. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they make it. They they basically backronym it and make it stand for like something like the 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 go the. I forget what they called it, but like, I just, they actually backronym it just so they could sneak in the Go Andre joke. Yes. <laughs> they just kept making jokes about the entire time. Yeah, it's like, I don't even remember half the jokes we made, but we were, we were definitely cracking jokes about that van, probably more than we did about Adam and his van during Turbo. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's like we called it like, like, I forget, it's like Colonel Truman's like love mobile or something. You're right. It's like, he picks up chicks in that van, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It was the it was just the funniest way to try to incorporate something from, like, the Sentai. Yes. Oh, just, yeah, just give, like, Colonel Mason Truman a literal, like, uh, shag and wagon, I guess. Yeah, I was just like, this is weird. Oh, so I guess kind of moving on from... Truman, because we had to mention the van. We didn't put it in our notes, but we had to mention the van. Yeah. Uh, kind of to our main mentor of the series, uh, Dr. K. And I'm just going to say it. Girl, she's autistic. She like, is so coded to be autistic. Yeah, I don't I feel like they're just, tr- like, they're trying to code her to be, like, a standoffish genius. But, like, you know, so many of those particular codings within media are taken from, like, how, like, the stereotypical person with what they typically call Asperger's Syndrome. Which, yeah. that's not really a term people like to use anymore, just because, like... A Nazi tr- did it. Yeah, a Nazi did it, and it tries to, like, separate, you know, that type of autism from the rest of, like, the autistic spectrum, when, like, no, it's not really quite how that works. But, like... Yeah. Tip- yeah, but, like, the way that she's coded as, you know, the big super, like, genius who, like doesn't really know how to interact with people and all of that, like, so coded with, like, those particular autistic traits. And, like, especially the way that, like, she kind of struggles to, like, like, especially in the episodes where, like, she, you know, after Jem and Gemma come back, and, like, so she tries to be, like, connect more with the rangers. Mm-hmm. And, like, she can't, like she, like, she doesn't quite know how to, like, do praise in a way that actually makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's like, oh, oh, honey, she is, oh. It's you like mix she, in, yeah. <laughs> she mix in the fact that she was literally raised in, like, a think, like, like I said, a military government think tank. Yeah, so, like, it's just like, oh, no, they just, they, they use, like, this autistic savant, like, so much just for her brain, and she does not have any social skills. And, like, I mean, obviously, I feel like any child who's, like, a super genius that, like, got 
like was raised by a military think tank to like make bioweapons. Um, yeah. I feel like they would not have any social skills whatsoever, but like it just it so especially shows with like the way that she tries to compensate for that lack of social skills. Or just does not realize like when like part of that social skill also is like when not to say things like when uh, the best example was with the uh when the kids were asking questions at the headquarters yeah and like she's, the military had and yeah. she's just like that question was stupid why would you ask something so insipid you know she basically had that tone and i'm like oh i did that as a child yeah we've talked about that <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she's she's definitely better than Sheldon. That is true. Like out of like autistic coded characters, I would say that like at least you know she has at least character progression where she has to learn like maybe like tone that down. Um, and we know it's hard for you, but you can try. Like you're trying. We appreciate and, that. And and we also show that she's not like. From the bits I've seen of Big Bang Theory, they just kind of make Sheldon to be this, like, complete asshole who doesn't take into account other people's feelings. Where, like, Dr. K, the reason why she was standoffish was just like, boy, I got close to people before and they died. So, uh, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like, I got close to people, they died. Like, the world is literally ending because I just wanted to go outside. Yeah, oh. That's, like, the reason why she stands, even at the very beginning, just so standoffish is just because, yeah, like, she had so much happen to her that she's like, I don't want anybody close to me, you know? It's one of the things Dylan points out, I think, it's like, you call us all Ranger Series and our color, you never say our name. Yeah. And even goes, my name is Dylan. Yeah, so, like, and that was a whole thing for her when, like, she has to do the, like, when she's trying to do the compliment circle. Yeah. And, like, she tries to, like, tell, you know, she tries to make sure that she addresses the rangers by name. And, like, that ends up pissing Ziggy off because she still is just, like, boy. Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> boy, she's psycho Corbett towards, like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and, uh, yeah, about her backstory. Okay, why? Well, to this day, and this again, this might change uh, once I watch Beast Morphers and Dino Fury, though I doubt. To this day, Dr. K, I think, is one of the most saddest Power Rangers episodes. Like, yeah, there's the episode where Kendrick's dies. Yeah, there's, you know, the episode where Zord, you know, we're in, in the end space finale and Zordon dies and, you know, everything's kind of, you know, good. Because he sent his wave throughout the galaxy. Um, but it's like, I feel like just because they were allowed to take risks and the writing at the time of RPM, Dr. K just is gut-wrenching. Yeah, like, like I, that was definitely one of those backstories. I was like, what the fuck? I, that, I like, just didn't even know Power Rangers could do that. Like... Kendrick's dying, and to the extent, like, the season finale of In Space, like, they end on a bittersweet note. It was more of, like, things are good, like, things have saved, but at what cost? Whereas, like, Dr. K's backstory, there was no good ending for it. It was just, like, she, she, you know, uh, when she finally gets Tanaya out of the lab, like, you can kind of see her crying. Right. And, like, she also, like, you notice, like, in the background is 
you know, the, the little ribbon that Jim and Gemma gave her for a present. Like, it's still tied up in her lap. Like, this is this is a hurt person who, yeah, you know, as a child, Alphabet Soup kidnapped her. Yeah. Like, she she was just, like, making, you know, equations on a, on, on a sidewalk. Kidnapped her as a young child, brought her into this underground bunker, and basically fed her lie after lie. Even though she's super smart, they fed her this huge lie. You can't go outside because you're very sick. Right. And told her, and every time her birthday passed, didn't even give her a name. She's just Dr. K. She's just K. And, you know, they don't really give her much of a name. And they just are like, here's your birthday. Now solve this equation we're going to use for our ballistic missile system. You know, over and over, they're just using her to form weapons or better weapons to the point she doesn't even know her name anymore. She doesn't know anything else and she just wants to go outside and then finally she's like she's taught to basically develop vengex and so when she's she's the butterfly like she like there's a butterfly that gets in her room and lands on her her hand while she's coating it and she walks out and she sees the sunlight doesn't hurt her right so now she's like i just want to step outside yeah for five minutes and that's it and i'm going to use vengex to blind their sister well they get a hold of it and Vengex is uploaded. They don't let her install the firewall. They're just being total assholes about it. Like, oh no, Doctor K will kill. Like, basically implying they'll kill her. Mm-hmm. They they even tried to do this later when she escapes with with the the Ranger series tech and everything. They literally try to kill her before Jim and Gemma stop it. Right, and it's just like that. That's it. You find out she's the reason why. The world isn't shit. There's no happy ending. Yeah, and, like, she's not, and it's not a case of, like, you know, this is not something she did on purpose and regrets. Like, no, like, this was a total accident, and, like, she feels terrible about it. Yeah. And, it's what, yeah. she, she She's, like, you know, 17, 18 years old. She did this probably, I don't know how long Vengex came up in RPM. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I think it's supposed to be, like, a year or so. But it's like, she did this when she was like 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And she has to feel the weight of that decision constantly. Yeah. It's so much. Yeah. And like, even Uh, after that, like, I feel like the series still implies that like, there was some truth that she is allergic to sunlight. That's the fucked up part. Yeah. You know, I think so. No, it's just her and Ziggy went outside and then like, something happened. Yeah, I... I think was well, she, she, she well because she like, just doesn't like to go outside that she kind of comes to uh, agoraphobic or yeah agoraphobic that, I mean that'll do it I just remember the scene when like she's like after like she escapes alphabet soup with like the ranger morphers and like she's got the hood on and she's actually coughing yeah so but remember she is she asked Ziggy to take her outside and she's Fine. Right. So I just think that after and remember, like the entire bit of alphabet soup is just like disintegrating on her, and there's like a lot of dust and stuff in the air. So yeah, she, of course she's coughing. So I mean, I'm just neat, yeah. No. That's a neat detail that's to see, but it's like it's kind of contradicted in later stuff. So. That's true. Yeah. But you know, again, she kind of became like afraid to go outside. Yeah, so, like, it becomes a whole thing where, like, especially after she rescues Ziggy that first time, where he's like, hey, you you left you left the uh, center. You, you actually came outside. Yeah. And she's like, shut up. Shut up. So, and I th- we've been talking this about a lot, but, like, 
you know, here she is. She's was deprived of a childhood, so she has these childlike qualities to her. Like she eats sweets. She wears like you know animal slippers. Some sometimes it implies I think that she works in her pajamas. Yeah, there's an um. You actually see her pajamas a couple of times in the series. Of like, yeah. I mean, one she already dresses like, you know, kind of like a schoolgirl, and I don't mean yeah. that in a sexy way. I mean, she literally looks like a child going to school. Um, and there was also another like uh, quality of like someone who's like autistic or like basically she says she cuts her own bangs with safety scissors and yeah. had the same haircut since she was three. Yeah. So like, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she like. She, you know, she looks, like, she dresses like, you know, she looks dressed like a kid going to school. But, like, the pajamas we see her wear, like, a couple of times, they're, like, these flannel pajamas that are covered in, like, rainbow letters. Yeah. And, like, yeah, there's, so there'll be times we'll see her kind of act like a child. And, like, and like I said, kind of her relationship with Ziggy kind of comes across as, like, someone who, in that situation, is really experiencing her first crush and doesn't really know how to act on it. Or act or yeah. feel about it, even. One of my one of my favorite touches comes from uh, the episode Ranger Series Blue, which I think I like may have shown you. I know I showed Kurt. I showed this episode a lot to people to kind of because it's a really good example, and we'll get into this of RPM kind of being a, a love letter. So you have with uh, with that they ask like why why do they have you know, big googly anime eyes. And she's like, it's the optic system for it. And like, later you find out when she was like, she was a child when developing it. And I think that that was like a small touch to translate that she's still very childlike. Cause here, here are these big machines that she has developed, these colossal weapons and they have big googly anime eyes. <laughs> and like, she tries to cover up that fact, but yeah. And definitely something that you you noted about this is that she definitely has big lesbian energy. I think it was more you noted it actually. Yeah, I um, mean, okay, yeah, because I I that definitely does sound like something I would say. Um, yeah, because like especially because the way she'll interact with Summer, yeah, is that she tries to like do the like the, give the scientific talk about how women are like socialized to act w- around each other. And also, I love it's like, I, I, I did not, like, kill you or something to sabotage your relationship with the males. And I'm like, that's not how that works. Yeah, and it's just like, and the way she kind of acts about Ziggy, which, like, okay. Even if we do say that, yes, yeah, she has a crush on Ziggy, whatever. Like, Ziggy definitely feels like the type of crush you would have on a boy before you realized you like girls. That you're kind of mad about it, but, like, he's so... He's so non-threatening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's very much the non-threatening, uh, like boy band member. Yeah, he it's that, like that that like that episode of The Simpsons where Lisa's reading from the magazine about like non-threatening boys. <laughs> like that is yeah that 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 Ziggy is that type of like boyfriend that a lesbian has before she comes out of just like because I, I feel like she's trying to understand like how she feels about other women and like kind of like how we are socialized to interact with women and that's you know it's hard enough to deal with that as a regular like a regular person in regular everyday life but like being like a child genius who was locked up in a military think tank your entire life like yeah I- i'm sure it doesn't leave much room to consider human sexuality <laughs> but yeah just the- just the way she interacts with both summer and um ziggy 
just gives off big, like, baby gay who doesn't re- quite realize she's gay yet vibes. Yeah. Especially, like, now that I think about it, she, she's very much more interested in being friends with Summer. Yeah, because it's just, like, Summer is the, yeah, I would say out of all of the rangers, like, I mean, yeah, she obviously kind of becomes friends with Ziggy in a way, but, like, I feel like she really wants to be friends with Summer. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I have a crush on you or if uh, if I if I just want to be your friend. It's yeah, that vibe. Yeah, and like I, she doesn't really have that vibe with Gem and Gem, but granted, Gem and Gem are kind of like her like brother and sister in a way because like yeah. they came up under similar circumstances, and it was one of those cases where she's just like I kind of hate them, but like I also love them because like you know they're they're actually nice to me. Yeah. And, like, I, I, she grows to care about them, and, like, when she finds out they're alive, it's, like, the first time you ever see her actually have a, an emotion besides, like, contempt. Um, but yeah, Dr. K, she's, she's a mess. I, yeah. She's definitely been one of my favorite mentor characters so far, just because, like, she's so interesting with, kind of, like, the story she has. Yeah. But, like, my god, that, that poor girl, she needs some therapy. <laughs> Yeah, I hope she gets gets therapy after after all those. Yeah. All right. So so now we're we're breaking to the villain. Yes. Uh, we we've definitely talked a lot about this. Uh, so so we're off to our villains of the piece. So we have Vengex, Doctor K's uh, basically Skynet that that she made. Yeah. So um. So basically, yeah. As I said, Vengex is is like he kind of starts off as Skynet, but when he starts like. You know, getting into, like, wanting to turn humans into robots and, like, kind of having this inferiority complex. Because there was this one bit, I forget what it was, towards the end where, like, Vengex, like, actually interacts with Dr. K in his, like, yeah. robot form. And, like, he's like, oh, so I finally meet my creator or whatever. And I forget what she says to him about, like, him being, like, she she basically is very derisive when she talks to him. Yeah. Uh, basically saying it's like, oh, I know all, I know all the ways you're gonna make errors. I know that you're just, you're just code or whatever. Yeah. And like, it just reminded me of this bit from the third Matrix movie, where like when Smith goes to the Oracle and like yeah. he has all oh. those Smith clones and he just turns Sati and um, I'm forgetting his name, Seraph turned. He just turned Sati and Seraph into um into Smith clones. And, like, the Oracle says to him, you're a real bastard. And he just goes, you would know, Mom. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, that entire, like, way that they were talking to each other just gave me that whole vibe of, like, well, you would know, Mom. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, it was definitely interesting in that regard. And, like, but also Vengex. I mean, because, like, any Power Rangers villain is also a bit of an idiot. Oh, yeah. Especially the first couple of episodes. I actually say, like, his long game stuff is smart. His, like, short game stuff of attacking the rangers is often, like, super bad. Like, dumb. Right. And that kind of comes into, like, every fucking Power Rangers trope ever of, like, you know, the villain's like, oh, I have this really grand plan for, the like, the long game that's gonna, like, really fuck up the rangers. But we gotta do this weekly stuff. Where I, like, I send out a monster of the week to attack you. Oh, it didn't work? Well, I'm just gonna get mad at my generals about it. Yeah. That's that's kind of... Vengex definitely suffered from that. Like, you know... Because we, you know... You had all those crumbs and, and pieces coming out about his long game. But it was just like... 
man, the ranger, at least like a lot of his stuff wasn't like petty, like diva talks, which, you know, I love the chaos energy that is diva talks, but she did literally just try to like kill a kid once. For yeah. shits and giggles. Right. So, like, Ben Jakes is kind of interesting in that regard because, like, I would say he's one of, he's more of those villains that, like, he is sort of, obviously, yeah, he does get directly involved in the action at some points because he does have that, like, robo form. Yeah. Um, But, like, he definitely is one of those, like, villains a lot of time that just sits back and lets things happen, kind of like Banshira was in, um, in Lightspeed. Yeah, definitely Banshira vibes of just kind of like, I'm just letting you guys do this. Yeah, and I'm gonna like, you know, destroy you all later and take the credit. Even eat one of you. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know if Vengex got into four, so. <laughs> so. You made the joke this time! Fuck, I'm sorry, Kurt. <laughs> <sighs> we are not that type of podcast, and yet! <laughs> and yet we will make four jokes! Oh no, what have we become? Um my sweetest friend. <laughs> <laughs> and you could have my dirt. I can't We've become a Power Rangers podcast, that's what we've become. Oh Jesus Christ. Um but yeah, I mean Obviously, like we said, his like he's kind of boring. He like he kind of sits back and lets everybody else handle it. But he does have like this infiltration plan that's really fucking sinister. Yeah, like you mentioned earlier, like when he's kind of on the lawn game plan, he definitely has like he's a mix of Skynet, he's a mix of Agent Smith, the machines taking over and and trying to kill humans. Uh, but his infiltration plan was, um, you know, ba- basically. Terminator Salvation will talk over this of like having people infiltrate the areas. It's always been a thing with you use Terminators like, uh, you know, living tissue over a uh, metal skeleton, you know, going in there, all that. But essentially, no, these were actual hybrid humans and you didn't know who they were up until like, you know, you had Dylan, you knew Dylan and, he, and eventually you knew Tanaya, but then all of a sudden, like, I think it was, it was Hicks. Yeah. Went ballistic and ape shit out of nowhere. Yeah, it was, but it was both Hicks and well, Hicks initially, and then I think Vasquez later as well. Vasquez later as well, and this is where you find out that you know, while Dylan got like you mentioned, Dylan got cured. Dylan and Tanaya weren't the only ones that had that happen to him. It's like half the population of Corinth had that happen. Yeah, like wow, what the fuck? Like, how did you even manage to find time for that? And, like, the big end game of this is, like, you, you've literally watched Vengex take over Korra. Yeah. And it's, it's and like, oh, man. It's one of those moments, like, when you watch it, it's just like, oh, shit. Like, it's, this is really dire. Yeah. So, um, it, it, it was, again, it was foiled. Um, and a lot of it was just due to, uh, you know, just human ingenuity. Right. <laughs> But but mostly, like, you know, Tanaya does kind of come to the human side, helps out Dr. K, and, like, her and Dylan, basically, as... It sounds like his first entries in trying this out basically destroy, like, all all that he's trying to do with that. Mm-hmm. And it... Corrin's kind of a wreck, but Vengex is dead and the day is saved. 
Yeah, it's that it's a SpongeBob meme of like, well, he did it, Patrick. We saved the day. Everything's on fire. <laughs> Everything's on fire. I mean, the 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 sky turned back blue and everything, and, and we later saw the the flower Dylan kind of poured water to sprout it into new flowers. But you know, mostly it's like we saved the day, and it's like, oh, the humanity's still kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah, you did crash master control into the middle of the dome. Yeah. Um. Uh, but since we're talking a lot about Tanaya Seven, she is one of the, she's kind of the more fleshed out villain of the piece, so why don't we talk about her? But she is the latest of the Ven- Vengex Human Infiltration Attack Bot. She goes into this long spiel about it, and she always gets interrupted. Yeah. Because she's, like, she's basically, like, because they'll call her a robot or something like that, or an android, and she gets very insistent that, you know, she's a, she's the Vengex Human Infiltration Attack Bot or whatever. Much like Dr. K does not like you calling it spandex. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, the whole thing about her is that, like, she doesn't even realize that she was human until, like, much later in the series. Yeah, she's she's so insistent on she's a robot. She's a ro- she's part of Vinjek's, ro- like, army and everything. And then, eventually, we meet Kelobite, which we'll get to him. He, he gets a special talk. Oh. Uh, and all of a sudden, you kind of hear, like, sh- I think she overhears him talking or something about, like, are you ever going to tell Tanaya that she was once human? It was something like that. It definitely laid the whole thing. as like, Tanaya actually was part human at one time. And so she does find out about it. And she goes through, like, a bit of a crisis with it. Yeah. And then, like, she eventually, when she finds out that she's, like, Dylan's sister and all that, like... She she has a whole ex- existential crisis that, like, you know, Vengex tries to Borg out of her. Oh, yeah. Because, um, like, briefly she becomes Tanaya 15 and she's just, like, pure robot. She's pure robot. And then, you know, Kilobyte tries, tries to kill her that way. And then, you know, she ends up getting the code wiped out of her and she's fully human again and all that shit. Right. So, but, you know, she's... It's basically like, you you know, she find out she's Dylan's sister, she was once blind, and they put ocular implants in her, and actually it was pointed out, it's like, uh, Dr. K was like, I don't know how long these ocular implants are gonna last. Yeah. Um, which she, like, because uh, towards the end she's like, I, you know, I'll be fine. Like. Yeah, I'll be fine. Which I really kind of like that touch, it's like, yeah, I'm disabled. Yeah. I'm a he- I'm, you know, which most of the time it's like, your disability is cured! And so tonight's like, yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah. I I lived with it before I was a robot, so. <laughs> but yeah, Tanaya is kind of the villain we see the most because, like, she does the most fights. She gets in most of the beef with the Power Rangers. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Gets most of the groundwork. She's definitely very snarky, mm-hmm. especially with compare. Like she will just snark out the other two, and she just hates working with them because they're both idiots, right? And then, like, obviously, she butts heads a lot with Kilobyte because not only is he like you know an asshole, he's a misogynist asshole, and we're getting to him. I promise, we're getting to him. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. Overall, just like you know, she's. The missing half with Dylan, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, like, his family. And even then, I don't think Dylan ever finds out his real name. No, I don't think she finds out hers either. Yeah, so they, they just become t- Dylan and Tanaya at the end of the series and kind of start their own family at the end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's a robot, and she gets better, and she's part of the whole mystery plot. 
Yeah. So I, I really like Tanaya as like a villain and like her, her weird like Scarlet <laughs> Scarlet Witch visor. Oh yeah, that, that was basically there just so when it goes down, like they could just replace the stunt woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was this is obvious there for like so you could just uh transition to a to a stunt person and it's just like <laughs> fun. <laughs> So, moving on to our last villain, because we just wanted to rant about Kilobyte. Oh, fucking Kilobyte, man. He comes in, and, he, you know, that he he has this whole, like, greaser bad boy programmed with him, or whatever. And it, I can only describe it as Vengex is like, the, my experiment with, with Kilobyte is I'm going to make him learn only through 4chan. Right? Like, I'm like, how else do you program a robot to be a sexy bad boy, but also be a misogynist. Like, what the f- How do you- like, What was the one thing I just thought? Like, why would you program misogyny? He's like, you guys have no gender! Yeah, I don't understand this. It's like the only way I could think of is just Vengex was like, I- I'm just dicking around and I have 4chan. I'm gonna see what happens if I put 4chan in this robot. It's like, well, you created a robot who hates women and says, probably says m'lady, uh, unironically. Uh, basically what happens is that you just get, like, the bad algorithm on TikTok, as somebody once explained it. Or, like, YouTube. Like, you accidentally yeah. watch somebody, like, you accidentally watch one, like, Joe Rogan video just to see what dumb shit he said, and then your algorithm is fucked for the rest of the month. He he basically was just like, I'm just gonna leave YouTube open, and then eventually the Joe Rogan videos play. Right. And then, that's why we have Kilobyte. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a steady diet of Joe Rogan videos, Jordan Peterson, and, like, 4chan. Oh, God, that sounds like, like, the worst kind of nightmare. Like, that- <laughs> Maybe- Maybe that's what Vengex's point was, is like, what- what worst nightmare can I come up with? It's like, he'll be the perfect killing machine that way. <laughs> or if uh, not the perfect get, killing machine, he'll be really annoying. Yeah. He gets blown up like a bitch, and thank God. Oh, God, yeah. It's just like, yeah, Kilobyte is mostly remarkable. Like, because the other two, I don't even remember their names. I just remember that they were very dumb. Yeah. Uh, especially the mirror bot is like, oh, it's so ugly. It's like, you're just looking at a picture of yourself. Yeah. Like, Kilobyte is just remarkable for, like, the few episodes he shows up in. He's just so awful. Yes. Man, fuck Kilobyte is, is the message of this podcast. Yes. So, we're finally at our honorable mentions. We already mentioned those two robots, which, yeah, they were fucking stupid. So. Fuck him. Yeah. Uh, Fresno Bob. I just wanted to mention that there was a mafia boss in this named Fresno Bob. Oh my god, Fresno Bob. I just... <laughs> and, like, he acted like such a stereotypical mob boss. But also, I love the, the scene where they show all of the other, like, like organized crime gangs in town. And it's just like that fucking scene from Mystery Men where you see all yes! of the villain gangs at the end. <laughs> the not-so-goody mob. <laughs> I'm expecting Eddie Izzard to come as Toadie P and and be she's decked out in like disco gear. You're right. <laughs> was it like Toadie yeah. P and the Disco Boys or whatever it was? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That should be that should be my ultimate form I, at a convention <laughs> as a trans boy. <laughs> is Toadie P? 
Oh, God. Watch Mystery Men. It's a great fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, we really loved it. Um, Hex and Vasquez were only... They show up quite a bit. They're more background characters, but it's just so funny that it's like, yeah, we, we love aliens, so... Yeah, and it's just like... Because as soon as you saw heard one character was named Hex, you're like, oh my god, really? And then you heard another character was named Vasquez, and you're like, oh my god, really? Yeah. And like... I, actually... Actually, it didn't hit me until I heard she was Vasquez, because I heard Hicks all the time. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's a generic name. Vasquez. Really? Yeah, and, like, the thing is, it's even funny is that Hicks is fucking incompetent. <laughs> like, that oh, is yeah. his main character trait, is that he's incompetent. And he, then... He, it's like, he should he should have been Hudson. Yeah, and then, like, and then Vasquez, like, the one episode where she's kind of, like, actually gets to do something. She's like, I don't want to be in charge. Fuck this! So we're finally in the odds and ends. Yeah, uh, uh, we know it's been a long episode. Thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> thank you for sticking with us. We had a lot to say about RPM. Um, this, we, we were talking about BSG and everything. This had so much influence from, like, prestige television that was in the past at the time of the uh, of it, like, not too far behind, or was going on at the time mm. of it. Or, like, like I said, like, stuff from movies. Like, it's heavily borrowed from Terminator. Like, Dylan was basically the Marcus Wright character, except Dylan was interesting. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, Terminator Salvation hadn't come out yet. But, like, yeah, so it, like, took a lot from Terminator and kind of that vibe. A little bit of Mad Max, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously we mentioned BSG before, because BSG 2004 would have, I think, ended around the same time RPM was starting. Yeah. Um, Lost? I mentioned the... Oh, go ahead. Lost, oh, Lost was a big one on, like, how they structured the episodes. Yeah, especially when you would have episodes regarding flashbacks and all of that. Yeah, and, um, so, and then, um, I, I felt like, uh, Fresno Bob was definitely, uh, influenced by, by, like, The Sopranos, because The Sopranos had ended, like, two years prior, but if you're gonna do, like, a riff on a, on a mafia boss, you better do... Uh, at that point, it was Tony Soprano and not, like, um, Colleone from the, Go- the Godfather. Yeah, because, like, even, like, even though, like, Fresno Bob constantly dressed in suits, like, he was definitely so, like, on the ground and involved with everything. And, like, all of the other, like, gangs looked just kind of like regular people. Yeah. That, like, okay, yeah, just it does kind of seem like, you know, that's more influenced by the Sopranos, like... You know, not, they might not be wearing tracksuits, but yeah, yeah, they, they they definitely seem like they're just they're they're people in the community that uh, off, offer protection. Yeah, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But yeah, like there's so much like in terms of like kind of like prestige, like sci-fi that was happening at the time, like you know, with BSG and Lost. You know, you had like the 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 TV dramas like The Sopranos. Like, it was interesting to see, like, kind of pull from that. And, like, we mentioned The Matrix as well. Like, obviously, yeah. like, you know, we joked about that with Time Force. About how, like, you know, oh, yeah, clearly, like, Time Force and a little bit of Wild Force, honestly, were, like, very, like, they tried to do the bullet time stuff and, like, more influenced by the action of the first Matrix movie. But, like, I tried to, it felt like the way the robots were, like, especially Vengex and all of that, kind of felt like, half Skynet, half, like, the, the you know, the robots from the Matrix. Yeah. Like, there wasn't, like, a collective name for, for that kind of robot. But it was, like, 
you know, if you if you watch like um, the Animatrix, there's a whole backstory about like how how like humans created robots and they were dicks to them. So the the robots got in a, uh, got into war with the humans. And uh, I guess that also takes a little bit from Battlestar Galactica as well, of, like, kind of the conflict between the Cylons and the humans. Yeah. It's definitely kind of a, a thing Yeah, that um, shows up in a lot of that sort of media mm-hmm. of just, like, you know, humans were dicks to the robots or something and, you know, kill them. Uh, but it, I, I just want to kind of point out the Matrix really has just, has influenced so much. Not, like, we're almost... I feel like we're nearly uh, at this point in Power Rangers, like a decade after it or something, yeah. like getting close to, and we're still seeing the influence of the Matrix in Power Rangers. Yeah, obviously, like you had the influence from the Matrix there, and like obviously you had influence from the Tokusatsu and all of that fun stuff. But like, yeah, it just felt like you know it wasn't just trying to be like, well, because it's not just trying to be a kids show. Just sound, like it sounds like it's cheapening like the rest of Power Rangers that came before that. But like, you know, it's not just trying to be like, oh, well, we're just gonna do like the typical Power Rangers formula we we've been doing this entire time. It felt like it actually wanted to be something beyond just Power Rangers, right? And like they're ta- you know obviously taking a lot of influence from what was popular in sci-fi media at the time. Yeah, because. Power Rangers, I love it, but it's, like, if I were to, like, compare, uh, like, a media, like, media diet or whatever, like, mm-hmm. people like to say, I'd say Power Rangers is, like, you know, a superhero movie or something. It's it's a snack. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be something to be a, a meal. And you don't want it to be a meal. Right. You know, you don't want it to be a full, fulfilling meal. Um, This was, like, more, like, a nice brunch like a light brunch of a meal mm-hmm. of power rangers like it still wasn't like you know meaty dinner like a full course meal but it was like no it's just you know like i got a plate of lasagna and some salad with it you know right yeah and then like but obviously the biggest influence was ter- the terminator series yeah, there there were, like, times where I'm, like, listening to the music motifs of it, and I'm like, oh my god, that came from Terminator. Yeah. Or, you know, there was, like, the little, uh, you know, gags that were just kind of calling back to the movies. I mentioned the, the blowing up thing. Mm-hmm. I do find it funny, Salvation came out around the same time as the series, mm-hmm. so they were contemporaries, but right. this one had the better story... Of, like, the human-turned-robot than that movie did, where, you know, I just remember, we always the same spot when I watch this movie. It's always that that that, that lake scene, and we're just screaming for it to end. Oh, God. The f- we fucking like, hate so- Terminator Salvation if, like, it wasn't obvious. Yeah, we hate this movie. Uh, so I just found it very interesting, like, they're contemporaries, and yet the children's show that just kind of is, like taking motifs from you did better than you guy who wanted to make supernatural all bro oh my god yeah like yeah because terminator salvation would have come out a year after rpm because rpm is in 2008 right 2009 it came out in 2009 oh so yeah they came out around the same time then shit yeah like uh i think they're like a month or two uh they're like three months apart so yeah they were they were kind of being written and done like side by side. Nobody knew who the other was doing. It just so happens uh, Dylan's more interesting than Marcus Wright. Yeah. Which 
We had to Google that name. Right, because that movie, that's just like, yeah, the the milquetoast, like, robot guy that they try to make the main character, but he sucks. Um, Yeah. Dylan is better. Yeah, and, like, obviously Benjix, like, I've made the comparisons to Agent Smith and the Cylons throughout all of this, but, like, clearly the main influence of Benjix is Skynet. Oh, yeah, like, like, computer yeah. computer defense network that took over everything and just decided that humans deserve to die. Yeah, pretty much. And so, like, yeah, because it's just like, yeah, this series, like, with even with everything else, the one that the main influence it wears on its sleeve is Terminator. And, like, I would say, yeah, it's like, watch this, like, watch this series instead of Terminator Salvation. Like, it's the same idea, but comes across way better. And it's just yes. it's one of those things about, like, sometimes you can have a good idea, but the execution can be really terrible. I would actually say that, you know, I had this idea of a Terminator long before mm-hmm. when I was, like, 14 in, or, no, like, 13 mm-hmm. or something in, like, 1999 or whatever. Right. So, obviously, it came from my head, but, you know, RPM did it better. Yeah. I also think 12 to 13 year old me did better than Salvation. Well, yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not a high bar to clear. (laughs) Oh, God. Mm. Let's, let's talk about another movie franchise. Yeah, so, it's been a while, but I have actually seen the first Fast and Furious movie, which everybody just says is a remake of Point Break. I've never actually seen Point Break beyond John Moxley reading lines from Point Break is both Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk. But, like, I know enough about Point Break being, like, the, one of the most homoerotic films of all time. Um, about about to, to Top Gun, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, like, but yeah, so basically in all the scenes when, like, Scott and Dylan were in their cars and kind of, like, talking to each other in this vaguely homoerotic way, and I'm just like, you know what? I would watch Fast and Furious Power Rangers, you know? Like, yeah. Just just remake, like, at least the first Fast and Furious movie. Or, like, just do, like, kind of that vibe, but with, like, maybe a car season. Like, I know there's that one car season that came out that hasn't been adapted yet. Um, <laughs> just make that yeah, one it's a Fast like, like, <laughs> and Furious. Yeah, do Fast and Furious with the car season. Yeah, so, like, that's what I'm saying, is just do do a, a season of Power Rangers that is just Fast and Furious. <laughs> like, right. whether you want to keep in the weird homoerotic tension that, like, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker had, I almost said Paul Rudd. <laughs> if you want to keep in the weird homoerotic tension that Vin Diesel and Paul Walker had in the first movie, that's your that's your choice. But yes. before they became familia. <laughs> just 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 uh you know, Dylan just saying familia. It's like, I don't have friends, I have family. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. And then like another thing I kind of realized while we were watching it, because there's this one episode called The Dome Dolls, which is I think it's the episode where Kilobyte is introduced. And like it's basically bringing up this whole point about like Oh, well, you know, it's like, you can't do that because you're a girl, you're a woman. Like, eh, eh, eh. And so, like, it leads to this whole plot where Tanaya basically knocks out all of the men inside Corinth. So only the women are, like, awake and are able to function. And so, like, 
basically comes down to Dr. K, Summer, and Gemma having to save the day. And it also involves, like, uh, breaking the hood of, like, Dylan's car. Yeah. I was watching that episode. I guess it was on my mind because, like, I recently sold my copy of my, because I had the hardcover first volume of Saga that I recently sold that was signed by Brian K. Vaughn. Um, just didn't want to around. I kept reminding me of being a sad 20-year-old. 23-year-old. So, like, I, I guess I was thinking about that because, like, you know, I recently sold that. And then, like, you know, we had the Why the Last Man series that finally got out of production hell. And they got canceled. Um, <laughs> pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. But, like, it would have been ending. Like, the comic itself would have been ending around the time they would have been writing and producing RPM. So I just wonder, was there somebody in the writer's room that was reading Why the Last Man and just went went to the writer's room and was like, hey, I got an idea for an episode. We're just not going to kill all the people with Y chromosomes. We're just going to, like, make them go to sleep. It's also very, like, 2000s to have binary, like, sex, gender. Mm-hmm. It's like, trans people don't exist. Yeah, which is why I loved your justification for why Ziggy, like, like he was able to like withstand it for a bit and then got knocked out it's just like he just had too much like his testosterone levels are just just right yeah right it's like yeah that makes more sense than like basing it on chromosomes because it's like okay well what about like you know because like obviously we've learned that chromosomes don't necessarily dictate anything well they'll dictate certain things obviously but like in terms of, like, your chromosomes do not make you, like, man or woman. They just dictate, you know, what kind of genitality you might have. But then, And even like, then, that can get wonky. Yeah, or, like, in certain cases, like, you might end up with something like, you know, Down syndrome. Yeah. So, like, obviously, it's like, yeah, that's not really... That just gets into very weird places real quick. And it's just, like, not just based on, like, gender. So, like, yeah, basing it maybe off of, like testosterone levels or whatever would make a bit more sense yeah it it was not really the best thought out plot anyway but like how kilobyte is like the weirdest possible thing to have a robot program to be which is you know a misogynist dick bag (laughs) it's like yeah sure well we'll maybe that's why he's a misogynist so they could justify having a Why the Last Man episode which thank god this did not come out during like what was it uh man eaters oh god also i will say though like i i tried to read amelia clark's comic mother of madness that made me wish i was reading man eaters it was that bad oh no oh no oh god like tell me more after this episode but go on yeah i mean amelia clark seems like a nice person but man marguerite bennett should have known better than enable that (laughs) i was just like Gender essentialism, it's very, it, it, around chromosomes, it's very 2009. Yeah. 2008. Like, that episode was not very well thought out, but I just was like, did, was somebody just reading Why the Last Man when they pitched this? Because it just seemed, yeah. it's got the vibe, you know? Yeah, as soon as you mentioned that, I'm like, oh my god, all it's missing is the goddamn monkey. Uh, it's like, I don't even know if monkeys are still alive in this future. <laughs> I just want to quickly mention this because I, I remembered it. Um, this was one of like one of the up there, I think, with that scene when like ca- like Cassie can't talk and in space, or else like she'll get killed by the Psycho Rangers, right? 
Uh, was when uh, in Ranger Green, when Ziggy, uh, you know, he secured the morpher. He's he thought he escaped Tanaya, and all of a sudden he's just hearing this like the whistle all around him of a uh, farmer in the Dell. Oh yeah, that scene. And it's like, oh my, this scene was so good. Like, uh, de- definitely top top intention scenes up there. It's like. Power Rangers showed it could do it in space, and then here they are in RPM, like, really perfecting that. Right. Ugh. Um, so, we- it'd be amiss to talk about possibly why some of these things were happening in Power Rangers Mm -hmm. RPM. And it was because of the very weird production of Mm -hmm. it. So, basically, after Jungle Fury, they heard from the House of Mouse, you have one more season, that's it, we don't give a shit. Uh, we're sending you, uh, this, this writer. I think this is his first time head writing something, too. Mm-hmm. Eddie Gonza- uh, Gonzalez? Mm-hmm. Might be butchering that name, and I'm very sorry. But, uh, yeah, they bring in the, this guy who's, who's written in the past for, like, other Disney shows. And they're like, mm-hmm. you get free reign of the show, uh, you know, do whatever. And then he, because he, I think the, the thing from what I... Red, it might have been disputed over the years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it sounded like he went over budget and they then fired him mid season and replaced him with, with Chip Lynn. Okay. So I it's kind of funny to me that you can kind of see the, the tiniest dip in quality. It's not mm-hmm. like you're watching the first half of season two of Twin Peaks. And then the then you immediately see right where David Lynch left the series, right? And it's just like it's just more of like a tiny dip, and then it goes back up, right? Um, but it's it's definitely like you have this weird thing of like this is the end of Power Rangers as we know it. Like it went the next year, it was just the revamp Mighty Morphin. Right, like, we were all like, "Yep, that's it. This is the last season." And um. Kind of to go into this point, I guess, is they decided to just make it, you know, a love letter. But I also think that's why they got away with, like, half the shit they did. Right, because nobody gave a shit anymore. Nobody gave a shit. It's like, this show's getting canceled. This show's going off the year next year. You know, we're giving you one more season to give us one. No, that makes sense. So, yeah, let's talk about how this is kind of like a deconstruction and also a reconstruction of Power Rangers. Yeah, so, well... Interestingly, that whole thing is just that, like, yeah, it takes time to obviously, like, be like, hey, there's stuff that happens in the series that has been kind of weird the entire time. Yeah. Like, um, kind of in the Ranger Blue episode where, like, um, where they keep asking questions about, like, why does the, the, the Zords have eyes? Or, like, why is there an explosion that happens behind us every time you morph? They even weaponized that explosion later. Right. It was, it was very interesting the way they did it. And, like, obviously, like, it kind of messes with the, the, the typical Power Rangers formula as we know it. Um, because, like, obviously, like, things will happen of, like, you know, death in the series is permanent. Like, you know, obviously we have kind of, like, this, like, half-assed romance, but we are actually going to kind of build around it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and obviously it kind of, like, it's kind of, like, not taking the piss so much, but, like, Obviously, it's, it's it's kind of, like, poking a little fun about, like, you know, kind of the weird things we've come to expect from Power Rangers. Yeah. But then, like, but also the, the kind of the things we love about it. 
Yeah, it, it's kind of like they took a little bit more of, like, some of the stuff Lothor would kind of make fun of in the series of Ninja Storm. Right. Uh, you expect him to get smaller! <laughs> yeah. And it, it really... It, it it really is like, how do we make this a love letter? Really, at the end of the day, is how I would describe RPM. Is like, how do we recognize it for its silliness, but also do such a love letter to the fans and give them what they want, which is fans have always craved for a more adult Power Rangers. I guess we're going to see if that happens with the Netflix, like one of the Netflix shows planned. Right. But they've always craved more adult Power Rangers. The 2017 movie was met with a mixed reaction and all that. And I think that's why people do gravitate towards the season. It's because you, you finally kind of get that, you know? Yeah, like, it, it definitely feels like they were, like, trying to make it a bit more mature. Like, like obviously, it doesn't really talk down to its audience. So it's either, like, they're realizing, like, no, kids can actually kind of handle this stuff. And, like, I don't. I don't know much about, like, children's television around the time, but, like, I know that, like, around, you know, before this series would have come out, like, was around the time Avatar The Last Airbender was on, like, Nickelodeon. And, like, you know, you'd have stuff like Clone Wars was running at the time. Yeah, Clone Wars was was running at the time. I remember that. Yeah, so, like, obviously, like, you kind of start to see a little bit more of the sea change in, like, children's television, where, like, you know, it does have very... I mean, obviously, watching children's television now, like, there is still stuff in it that is, like, yes, this is very, very oriented towards children, but, like, is understanding that children are smart and are not just, like, things that you, they're not just, like, objects that you can throw, like, toy commercials at. Yeah. Um, so, like... Obviously, like, it's either they realize that, that, like, okay, kids are smart, we can do something that's a little bit more darker, and, like, they'll still gravitate towards it, or we're, as you mentioned earlier, we're just going to, like, cater towards the older fans who have been, like, loyally watching this the entire time. Either way, it works. I think it's a mixture of both, like you mentioned, because mm-hmm. we've been seeing that shift in the Disney years, and we'll probably talk about it more in our Disney overview, mm-hmm. of it taking the medium seriously not too seriously obviously it's power rangers but taking it as a serious medium Mm -hmm. for children as the ship with children shows Mm kind of happened which i I feel like was what makes the next decade so painful to watch right um so i think it's a mixture of that and and a mixture of just showing kind of the fans we we know what you've wanted for so long here it is but yeah, it just kind of breaks down Power Rangers to what it is and kind of rebuilds it. Right. Which is, you know, what I what I really like about the season. Right. What I don't like about the season is it has one of the worst themes ever. Oh my god. <clears throat> like we were like it's very rare that we skip a theme in Power Rangers. Like we Like complete like completely. Yeah, like, like we did it a little like we did it if we're during spd kind of sometimes like we didn't hate the s like the spd theme like we just didn't like it as much as like a lot of people do it's like sorry not sorry ron wasserman and like (laughs) we would skip it with the operation overdrive theme because it's like what the hell is even happening but like yeah the operation overdrive theme was like this guy just got a paycheck and the gals yeah but this one oh my god power rangers rpm Get in gear! Get in gear! This was like, what the fuck? What I loved most about it is you had the beginning part where Dr. K's explaining everything that's going on, 
and you know it's like humanity you know it's one last hope and it's and then you just go to power rangers rpm <laughs> i peaked the mic oh god i just yeah it's like we i think we listened to the theme song like once or twice and then like from then on out kurt knew to skip it no, once. I believe it was once. And it's like, well, that was certainly a theme that was made for Power Rangers. Yeah, because it's like, we eventually would just skip it just to save time. Mm-hmm. But we would listen to at least, like, the first watch. Yeah. Like, the first episode of night, we would turn on the theme and and really dig it. And that's why we're just like, nope. Yeah, no, nah, we're good. Um, uh, yeah, that was just, that was really a terrible theme. I know that, like, Danny from Game Grumps and you know ninja sex party did do like he did pitch a demo which like if you find it out there it's actually better but like most anything would be better than this fucking theme you know me playing me me playing the hurdy-gurdy for the first time (laughs) would be better than this fucking theme song yeah like oh god yeah don't yeah i would say like out of all the bad power rangers themes this one is certainly the fucking worst Yes. Ugh. And then one of my favorite details is like this. There was one point like early in the series, I was like, "Man, I'm glad they abandoned doing crossovers." Like sometime during like I want to say Mystic Force. Yeah. Like I'm glad they abandoned doing crossovers like during the Disney era because I do not know how the fuck this would cross over with um with Jungle Fury. And then Jungle Karma Pizza is there. Yeah, so it's just like, oh, did RJ manage to franchise during the apocalypse? Good for him. <laughs> Why is there capitalism in Power Rangers in this, like, hellscape? But also good for him. Yeah, like, like you had made a point about that of just, like... It, it, it's, um, it, it's definitely, like, a quote, um... It's easier to, like, like think of an end of the world than, uh than to uh think of an end to capitalism and i'm like art this is not a slag towards rpm rpm just shows that idea as a show right because it's like the banks are all down like vengex killed it all to the point old money doesn't even have money and yet it's like people still go to work and have commerce and it's like what i mean um if the the pandemic has like taught us anything it's that people in power will like try to like sustain what they think is normal yeah like that's the only thing i can think of uh that it's like i think also it's like the writers probably didn't think about that yeah they were just like no like what what a normal world would be like which it just gives a strong contrast to me if uh with the last evangelion movie and how they showed the end of the world that way where, like, everyone's working as a community, you know, there's not really commerce or anything, but, you know, people are coming together and working together. Right. So it was just kind of, it, it was just kind of like, this probably didn't cross anybody's mind. Right. That's how I viewed it, is just like, that didn't, it, and that's how I didn't view it for so long, but now I'm like, I hate capitalism now, when when I first really watched this, mm-hmm. and uh, it just really came to my, my mind, I'm like, oh, wow, no, that is a, that is a thing. It's like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like now I can't unsee it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like you just can't unsee it anymore. So as I was watching, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I bet the writers didn't even think about that. But, you know, again, not a slag. Yeah. But 
I'm very happy that Dr. K, this is the final part, Dr. K let them keep the leather jackets unlike Princess Shayla. Yes, yes, like, they got to keep the sweet leather jackets. Princess Shayla was like, give me your jackets. Also, Merrick, stay here. I know you're actually with the Animarium, but fuck you. Yeah. Uh, I need my space. Whereas, like, Dr. K's like, no, you get to keep the jackets, but you gotta give back the morphers. Which I love the like the like the subtle goodbyes everyone did to their morpher. Yeah, it was really well done, and like ah, that fucking like last cliffhanger of like the, the the little shop of horrors cliffhanger of like Vengex being in the morpher. Like, just uh, like uh, we're finally to our verdict. This this is seeming like our longest episode yet. Yeah. So we're finally to our verdict, and if you haven't ta- like could tell. By the fact that we were willing to sit and almost talk about this for nearly three hours. We really liked this season. Yeah. We really did. We really did. Uh, RPM is a very beloved season. And I think it is for a reason. It delivers uh, a series season fans do crave. But it doesn't lose too much of its Power Rangers charm. Which a lot of people complained with the 2017 movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, originally, it really was the swan song of the franchise. This was supposed to be it. Uh, it shows a deep love for everything Power Rangers while exploring more what could have been done with the narrative of Power Rangers, especially with the, as we mentioned, the shift in how kid shows were going. Right. Yeah, it's a basic bitch opinion, but RPM is rad. I've shown it to multiple people who don't even love Power Rangers. I show them RPM, and they typically love it. Uh, Mick G wishes Terminator Salvation was this good. Yeah. Pretty much since we started this podcast, RPM has been hyped to me as this amazing season that people wanted to know my opinion on. Which kind of made me worry, honestly, because how could it live up to that kind of hype? Well, I'm happy to say it does. It's kind of surprising how it took possibly going out forever to make a season that just felt so radically different while still keeping what makes Power Rangers so likable and so charming intact. It's dramatic, it's tragic, hopeful, and just thoroughly unexpected. If I had to pick a season to show someone that had no idea what Power Rangers is like, or they had preconceived notions of what Power Rangers was, this would be the season I would show them. Alright, so that is it for this episode. As always, we'd like to thank Kate Nix for composing our theme song that you hear at the beginning and end of every episode. Uh, you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at the Goblin Mother. You can also find her at katenix.com where you can find her band camp, uh, her merch, and her streaming. Um, so as of the publishing of this podcast, what was once known as the Lullaby Lounge Novelty Hour is no more. Uh, but a new thing will be rising in its place next year, and you can still watch old episodes of the Lullaby Lounge on Kate's YouTube channel, so stay tuned. Uh, and then also we'd like to thank Joe Hunter for the art that you see every time you stream our podcast, wherever you stream podcasts. Uh, you can find him on Threadless at uh, joehunter.threadless.com, as well as Instagram at joebloodyhunter and Twitter at joe underscore hunter. That's also his Patreon. Uh, he currently is uh, doing art for the book Beast Heart Strikers with Land Pits, uh, which you can find on Comixology. And he also has a backup in Radiant Black number four. So if you have a local comic book shop that has back issues, um, go check it out there. Or you can also find it online wherever you purchase as, uh, digital comics. And then, all, as always, we want to thank Kurt Yoder so much for editing our podcast. Uh, we would not sound as good without his work. Like, we are really <laughs> appreciative to him. Yeah. Um, 
And so you can find him on Etsy at the Great SG Creations, as well as Great SG uh, Pixels on Twitter, which is just uh, strictly for his parlor art. Or you can find him on Twitter at the Great SG. Uh, our wrestler of the podcast is Max the Impaler. Um, they recently uh, ended up losing their job through Ring of Honor, so go support them any way they can. They are the uh, the they are the wrestler the wasteland needs. Yeah. Also, I I also think like their other job like got harmed recently. So yes, please go support them. Uh, I know their Twitter is I think underscore they are max. Under yeah, it's underscore they are max underscore. Yeah. So yeah, go check them out. All right, and then as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Miss Kitty F. Uh, my Twitter, both my Twitter and my Instagram have links to my link tree, which just links to both my Square uh, Square site shop as well as um, anywhere else you can buy my comics like Itch.io and um, Gumroad. So just check it out there. I'm not going to read out the whole like URL. You've heard me say it every episode now and I'm tired. Like it's yeah. it's almost midnight by the time we're recording this episode. Like yeah, just yeah. go find that link tree. Go to my shop. I sell masks. I have baby blankets. It's getting cold. Bundle up. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Velociriker. I really don't use my Instagram, but it's also Velociriker. Um, you can also on the um, Velociriker Twitter, you can find my link tree that links to my uh, candle and soap store, Kodo's Magical Crafts, which is that on Etsy. I also have a Twitter for that, Kodo's Crafts. Um, and now where, we, where can we find Ranger's Blank? Uh, for Rangersplain, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rangersplain. We use Twitter more than we use Instagram, and we are getting really close to 300 followers on Twitter. So uh, give us a follow there if you haven't already, or tell your friends to follow us. Or maybe even somebody you really hate, just as long as they're following us. We don't really care. Well, we do yeah. care if they're an asshole. So, you know. Uh, so watch out there. Uh, we are currently on Patreon. Uh, uh, Rangersplain. Um, yeah, Patreon.com slash Rangersplain. Um... We're going to make some considerations about that. But uh, for now, you can find us on Patreon uh, where you can sign up for us for as little as, I believe, $2 a month. And you get access to early access to episodes, uh, my show notes, eventually the Sticker of the Month Club if you sign up for $15 a month. And then uh, you can find us on WordPress as well, where it's where all of our show notes are available with all of the links to all of the weird things we reference. And that is rangersplane.wordpress.com. And that's it. We're through the Disney years. We are two thirds done. Uh, so, woo! <coughs> woo! Uh, so we hope you enjoy this journey with us. But we're not done yet because next month it's Ranger Splane's big gay Disney era overview. It's big. It's gay. It's Ranger Splane talking about the various capes and japes of Michael Eisner. Stay safe. We hope you have a safe and happy holiday season. Remember, it's no fate but what you make, and may the power protect you. Go. Just play.